Welcome to Level Playing Field, a podcast where two, three, four, or sometimes even more longtime friends get together and talk about one of their favorite hobbies, video games. Today we're talking about our favorite games from the past console generation, we're going to give an update on our fantasy league, and we're going to talk about some news. My name is Andrew Kimball, and I'm your host. Joining me on today's episode, we have, pouring one out for the 3DS, Caleb Van Ice. <laughs> It totally counts as part of last generation, and I miss it already. Also, didn't it die like multiple times already? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's now just finally shut down production. We're done. It's it's done. Finally, it took forever. Yeah. I guess the switch light was kind of the final nail in that coffin. The and the fact they haven't made a new game for it in like a year, <laughs> maybe two or three. Mm. And that other voice right there is Red Five, Dylan Wren. Yep. I don't get that reference. It's a Did you Star get the Wars new, reference. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, okay. Did you get the new Squadrons game? Yep, I did. That's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I kind of wondered because I do just like X wings. So yes, it has plenty of those. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm down. That was Luke's call sign in the Star Wars movies. Red Five. Yep. We've also got Joe. Know you, Summer. <laughs> yep. The name stays until Tom picks a silly name. Okay. You want me to pick a silly name? Yeah. That's All dangerous. Right, let's, That's, let's think let's about what, what you're agreeing to. <laughs> we'll see what next week looks like for you, buddy. All right. Before we dive in, I just want to ask that if you enjoy our show, please tell your friends. It would really mean a lot. Also, check us out on all the various social media platforms, Twitch and YouTube, by searching Level Playing Field Gaming. And subscribing and leaving a review would be super helpful in growing our show and our community. Now, let's start with Joe's favorite segment, the Fantasy Critic Update. Aw, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is this has actually stopped being my favorite thing. Nope. You're, Damn it, you Joe. are the Fantasy Critic guy, and that is what you will always be. This, this has stopped being my favorite ever since I made a poor choice, and now every time I open this website... There's a big old negative 16 staring at me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is pretty funny. Uh, well, aside from that, do you want to kind of give us a, a rundown of some of the recent happenings going on? It looks yeah. like you and me have almost filled. You filled I all have your filled 100%, and I have no drops left. Like, I am locked in. I can't do anything to change what I've got. And Dylan and I each have one slot open, but there's not much left to choose from. Aubrey yeah. has a couple, and Caleb has, like, half of his. Caleb <laughs> is playing a long game. We don't <laughs> know when fair. it's going to end, you know? He's <laughs> got year. He's got 5D chess. <laughs> he he does on. have a few games on there where it's like, if they come out, they could be really good and really catch him up. Oh, yeah, uh, Breath of the Wild 2 hasn't been flagged as will not released. Yep. Um, which is bold considering Nintendo's announcement schedule of, hey, this is coming out. Yeah, in three which weeks. is interesting <laughs> because, like, I think we'd all believe that to be the case, but also I didn't know that it had ever been confirmed that it won't be out this year. I, th I feel like the Hyrule Warriors team yeah. confirmed it. <laughs> I think they said when they announced Hyrule Warriors that they needed more time for Breath of the Wild 2. So, so we've we've yeah, if you picked give up a... games. Dylan got Hyrule Warriors. Andrew got Demon Souls. Uh, Which is somehow notable. not a remake. <laughs> uh, we've we've been over how the enforcement on this is a little uh, little wonky. a little shaky. 
Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what constitutes like. I guess maybe it's remaster versus remake. Maybe like Mafia Two, which is just a high res remaster thing, didn't count. But Mafia One being a remake where they like went in and updated everything and kind of brought it more up to modern standards did count. Same with Final Fantasy and uh, Seven, and there's another one. Mafia, oh, Tony Hawk. So maybe it's like, if it's just, we're making it, if it's just a Mario 3D All-Star situation, or we're making it run on a modern console and nothing else, that doesn't count. Yeah, or like re-releasing Skyrim onto yet another platform might be a... Right. So to break down the current rankings, uh, I've got 128 points and only two games left to come out, so that total is not going to move next behind me aubrey has 97 and she's still got five games left two open slots so that's there's a lot to work with there dylan or go by order next is andrew who's got like eight games unreleased (laughs) so there's um, and among that includes things like call of duty and valhalla and Cyberpunk. Uh, cyberpunk so miles morales yeah so like a- andrew's gonna get all his points in the month of december and probably sweet <laughs> uh and then dylan's got 80 dylan's still got a good handful of games to come out yeah um, hopefully and then right. caleb has two points <laughs> um, <laughs> and me we'll see if uh i guess watchdogs legion there's uh there's your big points and hopefully Silk Song comes out this year. Have we heard anything about Silk Song? Not we, in a long time, nothing concrete. Like the little bits here and there of just like teaser content, but nothing like it's for sure coming out this year or it's for if sure. If it was gonna out come out this year. year, don't you think they'd be promoting it by now? You know, it's it that kind of depends. negative attitude. <laughs> <laughs> They're a smaller like indie <laughs> type of studio though, right? Yeah, but it, it's literally like two dudes and a composer that's really impressive considering what they did with hollow knight yeah so it's who knows it seems a little unlikely given that we're in october and we haven't heard anything but we shall see yep so team cherry the company that makes it does not even have a wikipedia page and when you look at the like the list on wikipedia of who's developing it it's like the designers are ari gibson will uh william pellin and then you look at the programmers there's only two and one of them is William Pellin again. The other's Jack Vine. And then you look at the artist. Oh, it's Ari Gibson again. So yeah, it's like three dudes and a composer. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So like so, theoretically they could have been hard at work even throughout quarantine and shutdown because they probably already work from home. Yeah. So. But considering how good hollow Knight was and how good they want the follow-up to be, it's entirely possible. They push it back for reasons that are like fairly normal for that kind of game development where it's like, no, it's just not good enough yet. Yeah, I mean, they made yeah. enough money off of Hollow Knight that, yeah, they can just sit there and, like, uh, okay, I want to keep working on it. And then one day, like, Ari Gibson's going to come out of, like, a week-long all-nighter and, like, it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like why we haven't seen the, like, delicious last course or whatever it is for Cuphead. That DLC that was supposed to come out a long time ago is probably just because they're not happy with it yet. But which few other the big... original's development was like that, where they're just like, we're making this oh, game yeah. four years later. No, 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 we're still making this game. It just takes forever. 
And then you see it, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. It was like eight people made that game. A few other big pickups I kind of wanted to mention specifically is uh, Joe did pick up Immortals, Phoenix Rising, which is supposed to come out December 3rd. I tried to get that one. Joe outbid me. Um, I don't think it'll get pushed, but it's like, you know, it's towards the very end of the year. Um, then Dylan got Hyrule Warriors, which I also tried to pick up, the new one, Age of Calamity. There was like three games all at once that I feel like all three of us were bidding on, and we all we each got one. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it yet. Have we talked about the fact that you have bug snacks? I feel like we offhandedly mentioned it, that I picked it up. I feel like we didn't give it enough the, credit. I picked it up for the meme. And also yeah, because it'll be, like, out of all of mine, I look at that one and I'm like, I'm not expecting anything from this game, so... As long as it's positive points, awesome. But I think I, it has the potential to be like beloved, like Viva Pinata or something like that. Well, I mean, if, if I don't know that I've ever heard like a bad thing said about Octodad. Like, yeah, everyone kind of digs Octodad for its weird swing. And I have a feeling Bug Snacks is going to be like, as long as it's not like secretly just terrible, like, oh, this isn't fun or super glitchy or anything. I have a feeling a bunch of people are like, this is delightful. It's really weird, and I don't get it, but it's delightful. <laughs> yeah, so that, that could be a good one. And then Aubrey being Aubrey, she picked up a Jack the next Jackbox Party Pack, number seven, which could do something for it. And then she picked up two games that I've like, I've heard the name Eichenfell. Eichenfell? I say I heard it, but I don't know how to pronounce it. And then she picked up Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. These are some Aubrey games right here, and maybe they'll pay off for. Aubrey has been, I feel like Aubrey, aside from Joe's super terrible decision that got him like negative 16 points, (laughs) I feel like Aubrey has been the most kind of up and down with her choices where it's like Animal Crossing's 20 points. Oh, but then Pokemon and SpongeBob, negative points. And it's like, but also Microsoft Flight Simulator, 24 points. It's like, she's been the most like, She's had the most fluctuation, I guess. Yeah. She's got the, like, she's had the most heavy hitters, I think. Um, She's got some really high scores on there. If she hadn't picked up those ones that kind of, like, brought her score down, she'd definitely be in a lot better position. She has all these weird, like, like, she picked up Streets of Rage 4, which I get was a really good game, but it's also, like, that was pretty under the radar. Like, she just picked it up probably on a whim, and it happened to pay off, which is what she's probably hoping is going to happen with amnesia rebirth i mean the I first amnesia Sakuna. was supposed to be really good yeah i, I have a feeling am, am, uh, amnesia is not a me game even i have my limits when it comes to the horror genre but like it did very well and a follow-up it's anywhere near as good as gonna it's just gonna net her some points streets of rage right. 4 is phenomenal by the way i mentioned that last time but it's really good that's gonna be like your new game you have to mention on every episode it's like, we all have that in hades <laughs> Yeah, Hades. So cool. Yeah, I think that about sums it up unless anybody else has anything they want to kind of shout out and say. Um, I think we'll we'll definitely plan on doing this again next year, maybe tweaking the rules a little bit more, more customized. And we're probably going to dedicate a whole episode to the results. We'll like make that a main topic. And whenever, you know, everything's done, everything's come out, 
we see where it all fell. I don't know if that'll end up being like early next year or late this year, but I think that'll be a fun one where we kind of break it all down. There's, I found a page in here this week that I didn't really realize existed. And I don't know if everybody can see it or just me because I'm the league manager, but like I can see the history of the league. So I can see where we all started, who bid for what, what they paid, who won, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of cool. We may pull some of that information in where it's like, where there were some close bids or where we all were like trying to get Valhalla or something. And that could kind of be some, some interesting stuff. But yeah, we, we, we still have a lot of game to play in like games coming out, but as far as time left, we're getting close to the finish line. We're definitely getting close to like a cutoff point where it's like, it's just going to run out its course. There's not going to be much changes left to make. I mean, I feel like we've hit that point. Cause I was trying to fill my slots last week or this week or whatever. When I, picked up demon souls mm-hmm. i also picked up astro's playroom and Sackboy: a big adventure because like why not? those are gonna come out <laughs> probably and hopefully review well for what they are but there wasn't much else it's like most of the stuff when you look through it's like all this maybe 2020 or undetermined or whatever or games you've and never heard to of. to make a yeah. prediction now i think and we can like cite this later and then either i can be smug and right or i have to eat it um <laughs> if Aubrey can pick up t- two more games, like fill her last two slots, and both of those are like positive games, you know, like 75 or above, mm-hmm. I think she takes it. Otherwise, it goes to Tom because a couple of Tom's games, I think, are like question marks, but he, you're already at 84, and then we're going to run the gauntlet of the holiday releases, and Tom's got like all of those. Mm-hmm. What do you think is a question mark on my list? Just out of curiosity. Uh, the Medium, Astro's Playground, and Sackboy, A Big Adventure. I could see all three of those like doing little for you. Um, yeah, I don't I think, think they'll the be me- negative, but yeah, I could yeah. see them but being no, like, But because you have like points. Cyberpunk will be like a 20 plus point game, Valhalla 20 Hopefully. plus points, Black Ops oh, Cold that? War, what's that probably job? 20 you plus points. You think Cyberpunk is going to be a 20 plus point game? I think it's going to review. <laughs> we're not doing this. <laughs> and then it'll be Dylan and I duking it out for a third. And I'm sorry, yeah. Caleb. That's no, I had a very specific strategy when we started this and it did not pay off at all. I'm not doing that again next year. Or Breath of the Wild and Hellblade 2 and Legion and Silk Song all get him 30 points. <laughs> and just... ha- who, who, who knows? If Silk Song does come out, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, the only one that I'm out of that list you just said, I'm like, I'll get points from Legion. That's about it. And if anybody's listening who hasn't heard us mention this before, you can go just like check out this league and look at it at the fantasycritic.games and the lookup level playing field. But also, I put the link in every single podcast, um, like show notes thing, so you can get it there too. Uh, Dylan, I don't know how quickly you can get to it. What was my prediction for who was going to win this? Your Before. prediction, I believe, back was when yourself. we did the predictions episode. Um. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, what was the what was like? Joe just threw out everybody. I'm kind of curious to see how mine lines up with his. Yeah. Um. Okay. Here they are. That was in our E3 predictions. Andrew right. will win. Dylan, second place. Joe, third. Aubrey, fourth. Maybe third. And Caleb, fifth. Which is two pretty of those, much, I think, what... Two of those are on track to maybe be right. Well, one is definitely on track to be right. 
(laughs) (laughs) Again, like, I don't want to just keep dumping on Caleb here, but. (laughs) It was a gamble. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess we can go ahead and move on to the news if you guys want to. about how Minecraft Steve is in Super Smash Brothers now? <laughs> Specifically that, yes, Caleb. That's the only news. Yep, only, I, only. It was like the main news story I paid attention to this week, too. So. <laughs> it's also funny because I have no strong feelings on Minecraft, but, you know, I love Smash Brothers. And all when they announced, okay, new character's coming, I'm like, okay, I figured we'd probably get one before the end of the year. And literally, my only thing as I sat down to watch the announcement was just don't be Travis Touchdown. I don't want Travis. I I have nothing against that series. It's just like, if we're going to have another anime sword boy, I would prefer Dante from Devil May Cry, because then it, that's, that's at least the prestige of Devil May Cry being in Smash Brothers. Um, I just, I wasn't feeling Travis. I'm like, as long as it's not Travis and Minecraft shows up, I'm like, you know what? It's not Travis and cool. All right. This is at least weird enough to be interesting. It's funny you mention that because I never really heard Travis being like one of the big rumors. That I could... He was the main one I heard floated because they talked to because first of all, there's a new No More Heroes game coming out mm-hmm. soon. Yeah, it's been announced. Do we have a date? I want to say it's in the next six months. Like it's in either it's in like the first half of next year. I think that's all we know. I don't know if we got a hard date or anything. Yeah, um, but they also had an interview with the guy who made it and they asked him the same question they ask everyone who their character could be in smash it's like has nintendo approached you about maybe travis being in smash and instead of the usual no comment he just said well we'll have to see um and it was sort of right. a it it was enough off of the usual answer that it was like oh well maybe and then there's also it travis would be a choice that makes sense not from a people wanted this but from like a business perspective sense of like no more heroes is a cult favorite um that company works well with nintendo uh mm-hmm. it, it's a nintendo exclusive right switch yeah. exclusive yeah. yeah it's it's a thing that would make sense but i just i no i'm i'm good i'm fine. i feel like I travis will be in the game at some point i i think he'd be a i think he'd be a good choice for me costume like as a me sword fighter costume, that would probably be the best use of Travis. Just because I don't, I don't want an entire stage, and I, I, that's all I'm thinking of is like the stage and the music and everything. And it's like ah, I couldn't be less excited for a choice. <laughs> but so other things did indeed happen this week. Yeah, yeah. Before moving to the like more, I guess important things, let me complain about Spider Man's new face real quick, and then let me so, rebuttal that as soon as he's done. <laughs> so Insomniac decided. That for the remaster of uh, Spider-Man on PS4, when it comes out on PS5, they were going to recreate, essentially, it's a new Peter Parker. And they wanted to do it because they wanted him to look more and be like, like easier to adapt to Yuri Lowenthal, is what they've said. And I get that. And I get that also, you know... It's their game. They can do what they want. And also, maybe even objectively, if the game hadn't come out yet and I was faced with these two choices, which would I prefer? I may even choose the new one. But I played the original game and I loved it. And I love those characters. And now that is 
Peter Parker and that face matches that voice to me. And now they're just kind of like switching it up and it feels like this weird kind of imposter has come in and taken over. That's not the real Peter Parker. Who is this guy doing what Peter Parker did? And yes, I also have seen the argument floating around that's like, okay, but honestly, 85% of the game, he's Spider-Man wearing a mask. So why does it matter? Yes, I admit that. I am not saying that this is a rational complaint or anything like that. It just bugs me. Because that was not the Peter Parker in the original game. And that's well, not, it's like, like that's when not the show Peter Parker, swaps voice of. actors. And even if like the new voice actor can get really, really close, you can still tell. And it's there's always in that back of your mind that like, uh, but this isn't... Voice like, actors, yes. Even actors. Like, um, I'm going to admit something that I maybe shouldn't have. But like, I watched Spartacus, which is, you know, not a great show. It's... <laughs> it's it's two things it's sex and violence but the dude who played spartacus like passed away from cancer or whatever after like season one or season two and they replaced him and i honestly i couldn't watch any further it was like that's not it doesn't feel right anymore they replaced the main guy they recast him and they had no choice it wasn't like what insomniac did where they're like well we think this will be better going forward it was like they had no choice to keep the show going they needed a new guy but it was like for me watching it i was like yeah i I'm not into this anymore. I just can't really, I'm, I'm done. And so it's going to, I think I could potentially get used to it where it's like, I'll play this game. This game is great. I know the game is great. So maybe I'll just get used to this new guy and it works out or maybe going into new games with him. It, it fits better. But initially when I saw the post GameSpot was the first person I saw that posted it on their Instagram. And I was like, wait, what? What is happening? And I'm like scrolling. I'm like, where's IGN? Where's like somebody else had to have posted this if this is real. This seems like a like some sort of prank. And I'm like scrolling. Nope, not there. So then I go to IGN's website. And I'm like looking. They haven't posted anything. Turns out for once I was like right on top of a news story and they just happened to break it first. And then as I kept Googling and stuff, I saw more and more sites were like releasing it. They they had released the trailer for the PS5 version and whatnot and the like the new P- Peter Parker and I was like, oh my God, it's real. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it's not, obviously there are bigger problems in the world. I just needed to kind of vent for a minute. I don't like it. I don't, I initially it was like, oh, they want to make him look like Tom Holland. I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate, but it is a lot more Tom Holland. It looks very much like even as someone <laughs> who defends it and who's like, I kind I, I don't hate it. I'm like, my gut instinct was initially before I watched the footage, my gut instinct was, oh, you guys just wanted to make it look more like Tom Holland. Because that immediately, you see the difference in the face. It's like, that now just looks like a slightly older Tom Holland. Yeah. So why don't you give our listeners maybe the more positive outlook on this, Caleb? Well, first, I just, I think it's really funny that everything you just said, considering how much we've argued over, like, the Super Mario 3D All-Stars thing, where, like, we both <laughs> agree it's a flawed package, but my thing is because, like, there's so little extra stuff there it's and how they're mm-hmm. releasing it is so t- like terrible it's just like here's the ports of the game here's the soundtrack it's only available for like 6 months and then we're done i'm like don't do that that's a terrible idea but then like you and several other people it's not just you have been like why didn't they update any of the game like why didn't they update the graphics and i'm like no no i don't want that like that's i i i want them to be the same games they were you know, you can spruce them up a little bit like they did. They did upscale the textures and whatnot. But I just find it funny. It's like you said that about Super Mario and then like 
Spider-Man, you're like, no, no, no. Because to me, the biggest problem I have with it is the fact that, like, it is replacing what he looked like last time. Like, it's, I'm like, that's not what he looks, if you want to do it moving forward, that's fine. But that's not what he looks like in that Spider-Man game. It it, look, right. it looks different. And as long as they don't, like, go patch the old PS4 version to take it, and then it's, then I'm just like, no, no, you guys, you can't go back and remake the thing that I still have. That would be terrible. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't hate it, because, like, like you said... It's, it takes, it does, it takes a minute to get used to, because, like, that's not what he looks like. But when I watch the footage, it's a much better, like, a much better fit. Like, it just, it looks more naturalistic, the acting's better on it, and it's, it's nothing to do with the face, it's just, like, it does match Yuri Lowenthal's face a little bit better, and so it, it, it looks less fake. Because, like, we haven't discussed this, because we keep talking about doing a spoiler cast for Spider-Man PS4, uh, but we haven't done it yet. <laughs> I don't love that game i like it a lot but there's a there's just like this tiny little gap between this is really good and this is one of like the best games of the generation of the you know of that era and i'm like i can't cross i can't make it cross that gap for me and part of it was just kind of like yeah I, the directing in the cutscenes just is like it's fine it's okay but it looks better with the new guy like it looks better with the new face it it just the acting's better. The animation's a little bit better. It, yeah, it, I still don't love it, but like, I absolutely, as someone who was very skeptical when I saw the news, I'm like, why are they doing this? I watched the clip. I'm like, oh, okay, it does. It, it does actually work better. So before we move on to more important things, two things I want to mention on what you said. One, the reason we haven't done a spoiler cast apparently is because I can't let you slander that game on my podcast. <laughs> so I got to find some other people to play it before. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but more seriously, you were talking about the comparison to the Mario games. I didn't say that I wanted Nintendo to make Mario look different. I just wanted them to make him less polygonal in 64 and more like but what he that's looked like what he in looked Odyssey. Like. But that's what yes, he looked like in 64. Be- he looked like a little polygon. That wasn't because of his character design. That was because of the technology they had at the time. We we know what Mario looks like Well, that was like also now. because the technology they had at yeah, yeah, yeah. But the technology we had at the time, they made choices based on what they had available. Those were the choices they made. Like, they, they worked with what they had. Okay, so aside from how he looked, I would have also liked for them to maybe update, like, just make it, like, a lot of people complain about the camera. Or, like, settings. Like, Sunshine should have had the option to invert your controls or not. Like, those kind of things are what I would have liked Nintendo to do for the, the remaster package. I wouldn't have necessarily wanted them to like turn Mario green and make him taller or something like that. That'd be <laughs> ludicrous. I mean, they should have done. If we were going to cheat tweak anything, we should have had a mode where you just press a button. It's like Mario's green and taller now. I don't know what that's about, but let's do it. He's got an L on his hat. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, no, and some of those are fair. The sunshine having inverted controls, especially because I think he had inverted controls in the game. Yeah, it's like they tweaked it and it. Yeah, but. Uh, this is the definition of beating a dead horse. So <laughs> we should probably move on to the other things. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about cyberpunk first so that Joe can really end on what he's super passionate about. Let's talk about the, the cyberpunk crunch thing. Uh, Dylan and or Joe, since Caleb and I kind of dominated the last little bit, why don't you guys kind of give us a recap what's going on? Maybe share your thoughts. Joe, you're way more knowledgeable about this subject. <laughs> If you want to take it, uh, I can give a recap if you want me to, but so, okay, are, go ahead and you can do the recap and then I'll build from there. Okay. So back in the day, I don't, <laughs> I don't have exact dates, but essentially 
they delayed my or they delayed cyberpunk a few times already and i believe one of their stated reasons for it was because they did not want to have a bunch of crunch and so they were just going to delay it rather than have the crunch and then earlier this week they came out and said that they would be having mandatory crunch for their employees for i guess they would end up working like their normal work schedule plus one weekend day every week until release date which works out to i think like six or seven like weekend days or something essentially like a a week's worth of extra time and they did say that they would be compensated for all of this and like they'd be paying them overtime and that sort of thing and six weeks of crunch like they they did say that's a lot better than a lot of like crunch for a lot of studios but there were still a lot of people that were kind of like upset that they kind of i guess they saw the people's champion cd cd project red going back on their promise to not have crunch and there were kind of like a huge range of like reactions on the internet from you know like the one i just described of like how dare they but then also there were a lot of people who were like just give me cyberpunk i don't care and everywhere in between of like yeah crunch sucks but like it's you know this is if they're gonna do it this is a good way to do it sort of thing and so yeah that kind of you got to do what you got to do mentality mm-hmm. yeah and so hopefully that's a passable that's a, that's <laughs> summary. a decent summary yeah <laughs> it's uh, what we got we'll work with it yeah so and then i can can color this because i don't I mean, I don't work in games, but I work. My job exists because of the game industry, like my specific specific position, and then also just working in software in general. Like software doesn't have quite the same issue with crunch to that degree, but it still happens. In government contracting, it's less of a thing. But if you go and say you want to go work out in Silicon Valley and like make a name for yourself, you're working fifty to sixty hour weeks constantly. So it's it's an issue close-ish to me. And like CD Projekt Red saying mandatory overtime for six weeks. And I mean, they're being paid under the labor laws and all of that's fine. It's, that's kind of it is what it is. The the bit that I wanted to tack on and highlight is that the, this like right here isn't the issue, but kind of what might be more of the issue or the reactions of like, well, it doesn't matter if they have to crunch as long as the game is good, or I wish people like Jason Schreier would, you know, stop poking under into the dark places and talking about these things. I don't want to hear about it because, well, this isn't a big deal. What is a big deal are the cases of crunch where it goes on for months, if not like a year or even longer than a year. And you're, you're talking about Anthem. like, you know, yeah, you're working. 60 hour weeks every week to the point where like your body starts breaking down from the sheer stress load and the people who get affected the worst by it are typically not being paid well enough for it to be worth it like they're almost living paycheck to paycheck they're not full-time employees they don't get benefits they're contract employees and that's i think the like if you're a salaried employee and you're full-time, and you have benefits, there's a little more protection. But what the games industry does is they hire a lot of contract employees because projects 
grow and shrink over time. So you hire like 80 QA contractors because you're getting close to release and you just need QA for this little bit. And so you got like these 80 people who are all fighting with each other, hoping for those that handful of full-time spots that are going to open up when the game ships. And so it turns into like, we're not going to say that you have to stay. And because we don't say you have to stay, we're not going to pay you to stay. But also, if you don't stay, you're not getting that full-time spot. And so it takes advantage of people. And as consumers, there's not much we can do about it other than just be aware and not be negative when people within the industry speak up about it. Like, this really is an issue between people in the industry. Like, as as consumers, if we boycott everybody, like, if, assuming we actually get everybody to boycott something, then, like, well, everybody gets fired. This is, like, an issue of unions, and it's hard and it's complicated, but from a... Uh, like a consumer standpoint, when people like Jason Schreier write articles, I, I don't like Jason Schreier as a person. Like <laughs> he, he's kind of pompous and arrogant and drinks his own Kool Aid, but like his reporting is good. And so, like when he reports, just like let it be out there and don't contribute to the I don't know storm of nastiness. Not that I think any of our listeners do, but you know, the more you know. Anyways. This is uh this is Joe's PSA over. Now <laughs> now Joe's gonna go on for the next thirty no, not thirty minutes, but no I'm Joe's gonna, gonna go on that. for a minute about stuff Joe likes. So Speaking of crunch, Joe, do you think they're crunching on World oh, they of Warcraft are Shadowlands? Crunching <laughs> like hell right now. I we I, we were I was talking about this yesterday with a couple of people. So the big news is World of Warcraft Shadowlands was delayed. It was supposed to come out in less than 30 days on the 27th of this month. And yesterday they came out and said, we're not going to release it on the 27th. We're going to release it sometime this year. Um, Because everyone was kind of shocked by the 27th being the release. Yeah, it seemed soon. Yeah, it was a little like, okay, that's a lot sooner than we anticipated. And normally by now they have released the like expansion.0 patch so it's 8.0 7.0 that's normally out by now 9.0 isn't out and we've been wondering where it is well it's gonna come in two weeks and and we're guessing maybe they're gonna like launch it in early december and then like put out the raid in january after they're all done with christmas break but this is a big deal on a couple of fronts one is uh oh i see yeah aubrey's ribbing us because yeah caleb just straight up left when i started my spiel (laughs) yeah if you're listening to this on the podcast at home you can just keep hitting that like forward 30 seconds button until you don't hear my voice (laughs) yeah so it's a big deal that they delayed this because like blizzard doesn't like to admit they're wrong yeah Um, they really don't they really don't um but now that activision's their overlords maybe and this is it's interesting because like okay they're less than 30 days out and like things are in motion at this point at blizzard like sales is in full swing marketing is in full swing they're like all right we're, we're ramping up and the wow team basically stuck their necks out and said like hey we can't and the beta right now is buggy like that's undeniable but also bug fixes can go quickly it, it's hard to say like okay it, it's buggy now but 
okay, they have a month until launch, and then the raid launches even longer than that, and so like they can keep patching bugs live while they need to. For them to delay it like this, it means something is like fundamentally broken or fundamentally wrong behind the scenes so much so that like people risk their jobs to say that like no we need to slow down and do this right can Um, they fix that in like a month to two months that's a good question there's kind of two um camps of thought on that so one is that like if they just need to polish it up and do bugs and maybe get the balance a little better sure like they'll work with what they got a month or two There's another camp that is hoping that this is a signal that they're maybe admitting they're wrong on some of their core design philosophies. Specifically, they have have this whole deal with covenants, and if you play, you know what that means, and I won't go into it now. But basically, imagine your last talent row, you had to only pick one of those talents. And we're not talking like the old school talents that was like a tree. We're talking like the new style where it's like you have three talents and you can flip between the three. Just like what they've said is, okay, you can pick one of those and then you can't pick the other two. If you do, it's going to take you like two weeks of grinding to pick the other one and then two weeks of grinding to pick to go back. And a lot of people are unhappy. They're hoping that maybe this is a signal they're going to change their mind on that. It seems unlikely. It's probably more just to like there's something seriously wrong behind the scenes and like they can't fix bugs as thought as as fast as they thought and so they've punted it and community reception has been largely positive there's a couple of naysayers but by and large it's all been positive like take as as much time as you need and appreciation for the fact that things at blizzard right now are probably no one's having a good time yeah because that's you know that's go ahead dylan i was just gonna say because it is a big sort of change in in the past couple years for blizzard like yes they did for azeroth yeah they were very much didn't communicate at all they said this is the game we're shipping it on launch day take it or leave it and shadowlands it's been much more of a like there's still some things where the community is like we would really like it if you would listen more to X, but Blizzard's communicated a whole lot more, and they've been putting up regular builds, and it, it's like they're at least talking a lot more. Yeah, even some of the stuff that they did with like Hearthstone and Warcraft Three remastered, and and some of those like was very much just like we're gonna do this anyway, and like it they released it out into the world, and it was not well received and so and they kind of just like did it anyway and so i don't think it would have shocked anyone if blizzard just was like yeah we're we're just gonna really shadowlands like this too but i am glad to see that they are shifting a little bit at least like who knows like the the big reason behind it like they haven't come right out and said exactly what was wrong with it but it is i think it is good that they are communicating and seemingly listening to the community a little bit more hopefully yeah yeah the most they gave us was that they they just want to polish it and to balance and iterate on some interlocking pieces particularly those related to the end game um and we're not well that makes sense we're not sure what that means because the end game seems done and it seems solid outside of like just we're worried that they can't balance this whole like new talent system 
appropriately, but like the actual system and the progression seems okay. So we're not sure what's up, but we're glad to see it. Caleb, you have any thoughts on the World of Warcraft Shadowlands <laughs> expansion delay? All I know is that World of Warcraft ever stepping back and saying, "Hey, remember that that intricately timed thing we had had we were going to do? We're not doing that at the time we were going to." That's a big deal. I know. Oh, and they're also else. they're issuing refunds. Um, oh, anybody shoot. who pre-ordered it. And we're talking about a company owned by Activision. Yeah, I was going to say Activision Blizzard issuing refunds. That's, I mean, going back a few years, I just remember the joke in the Cataclysm literal trailer that Tobuscus thing. Do you remember Tobuscus ever? That just that was the thing that happened. I just remember the Blizzard has a solid gold logo because they're loaded. It, the, for them to offer refunds, that's literally, I, I don't know much about World of Warcraft. I saw the Warcraft movie in theaters. I don't hate it. It's not good. It's <laughs> it is a jumbled collection of images, but it I, I still is like, you know what? There's a guy with a big sword. I'm kind of on board for this aesthetically, if nothing else. I do usually watch their cinematic trailers because those are awesome. Um, But yeah, no, even I can tell this is a big deal. This is not a thing that happens very often, even if yeah, it's in a it, circle like of the Internet. I don't or a circle of gaming culture. I don't travel in. I'm like, oh, shoot, stuff's on fire yeah. over there. This is one of those, like, nobody thought this would happen. If they tell someone tells you, they're like, oh, I predicted it. They were going to delay it. Like, now they're full of it. So that this concludes uh, Joe Joe's ramble until we talk about our games. And then I'm going to go <laughs> off on, like, a 30-minute tangent about Subnautica. This is going to be a long episode. Joe's on fire. Let's go ahead and move into our main topic for this episode. favorite games is NBA Jam. That's not from this generation, but because you said Joe's on fire. He's on fire is the NBA Jam thing. I was trying to make it a transition. I, work, I, I I'm still saw talking. where you were going. Okay. Joe, Joe gets it. Okay. Well. <laughs> so yeah, the, the main topic that we're going to be going over for this episode is our favorite games from the past console generation. So there's a couple disclaimers that I want to throw out before we start. One, we're combining Switch and Wii U, essentially, because a lot, not all, but a lot of the really good Wii U games have come to Switch. Also, Nintendo was like, they decided they were just going to kind of cut their losses and run. Yeah, at their own point. So Switch, I I think mine are just Switch, but like, you know, Switch and Wii U. The other thing is that there are still some potentially awesome games coming out this year on current generations. So we may do like a segment in the future where we like go back to this topic for a minute and say, okay, so if I had to, I would put cyberpunk here on my list and bump this or, you know, immortals, Phoenix rising Valhalla, miles Morales, watchdogs, etc. So like, there's still some big games to come out this year. Will any of them shake up our lists? We don't know for me. Potentially, I mean, I could see two or three of those maybe making the cut. So we'll come back and maybe do like a quick little revision thing. It won't be its own episode, but maybe like a a segment, um, a smaller segment where we go, yeah, okay, 
Cyberpunk was amazing, I would have put it here in my list, which would have bumped this, you know, that kind of thing. But for now, because this seemed like a really fun kind of creative topic to do, and it's fun to kind of make these lists and, and talk about them, we're going for it. So what we're going to do is our we're going to talk about our top five in depth. So we're going to go probably five, four, three, two, one. And if someone, if a game comes up and it's further down on other people's lists, we're just going to talk about it at the first point it comes up. Whoever else has it on their list, we'll all just kind of jump in the conversation, talk about why we loved it, etc. And then when it comes around to where that game was on that person's list later on, they'll just be like, yeah, that, you know, that was there on my list. I already kind of gave my thoughts and we'll just move on that way. Any overlap, we're not like having two separate conversations about one game. There is going to be a little bit of overlap, but I think we actually did better than I expected. So I think where I want to start is with Dylan. I want to hear Dylan's number five, and then we're probably just going to go in a circle based on my screen and and knock it out from there. <laughs> All right. So my number five favorite game of this generation was Shadow of War. I originally had put Shadow of Mordor on here, but then I realized that I played that primarily on the 360. And is, so yeah. <laughs> that's technically two generations ago. Um, but yeah. Because like, I had those games on my list too. I had Shadow of Mordor on like my big list that I was pulling from to make my main list. and But I would have picked Mordor because it like introduced the ideas. But it is interesting that you played it on the previous generation because when I think of it, I think of it as a next-gen game, like a current-gen game. Yeah, because there there are another few that, like Dragon Age Inquisition and Tales from the Borderlands and those kind of games that I played on the 360. And so I almost didn't consider them like this generation for myself, just be like, even though they were, yeah. uh, but like, it was just kind of like a, oh, like my primary way of playing them was not this. And so I like when I was making this list, I wasn't remembering them as like games that can't like, I guess it, it to me, it's kind of like what cyberpunk will be, you know, if we make this right. list again in 10 years, it's like, I'm probably going to play cyberpunk on an Xbox one technically it's coming out on both like right at the start so like if you play it on an xbox series x like is it that that generation for you or not yeah we also had this weird thing at the end of the last generation beginning of next where most companies weren't actually certain like how good consoles were gonna do going forward because of some basically bogus data they were working off of so they always had their bets like we don't want to risk everything on the new consoles because we know people have the old ones. We don't know that anyone's going to buy the new ones. So we'll just release everything for that. And actually, weirdly enough, you brought up Cyberpunk. CD Projekt Red made a big splash. And they're like, no, Witcher 3 is only on the next gen consoles. Like, that's it. We're hedging all our bets there. And everyone's like, that's nuts. That won't work. <laughs> that does kind of remind me quickly, too. We also did make kind of a, a decision that we weren't going to bring up like remasters on our lists or like, because like, say, I played Last of Us the original one as a PS4 game, but it was a remaster. So like I consider kind of like Black Flag and like Shadow of Mordor and games like that, the original Watch Dogs, like I don't consider those necessarily the same kind of remasters as say like a like Last of Us remaster or uh yeah. some other ones that came later. Cause Cause those they, like the ones that are more on cross both. yeah, the ones that are like mm-hmm. cross gen I still consider those in this conversation. So just to kind of throw that out there. Yeah. 
yeah i was just kind of giving like a little insight into like as i was making my list like right. as i was thinking through things like i didn't get an xbox one until like 2015 like late 2015 2016 something like that uh, i think i got it to play the witcher 3 basically and so Good choice so i got it like a year or two after it came out and so a lot of the stuff that came out during those two years that was cross like generational like i almost consider a lot of that 360 games anyway shadow of war is a fantastic <laughs> game they i thought the story of shadow of mortar was probably a little bit stronger although i did think a lot of what they did with shadow of war was pretty cool just like i don't are we doing semi spoilers yeah i um, mean yeah just yeah, I okay. would say if you can avoid them, maybe mm-hmm. try to, but like yeah. a lot of these games are older and and yeah. Yeah. Just be warned we may kind of spoil some stuff. Yeah. So, so just some of the things that they did with like the main character Talion and the Ring Wraiths, I thought was just very interesting and like flipped a lot of my expectation. Like I wasn't expecting a lot of that as I was playing through the game. So I did think that was kind of cool. I did think the story, like I said, was stronger in the first game just because it was more contained and I don't think they were making it with like a sequel in mind necessarily, but basically all of the systems in the game are so much better in shadow of war. They're more Um, refined and more like like expanded. mm -hmm. Like the nemesis system is awesome. Like the different factions of orcs within the world are awesome. The strongholds. Yeah. Doing like the sieges and like protecting your fortress and all of that kind of stuff is really cool. And just kind of like the, the way that you can sort of, like the combat system, I guess I've always been a big fan of. I mean, it's basically just Batman. It's Arkham very Arkhamy, yeah. Um, but like they they have expanded so much, and like the armor and weapon system that they did, I thought was really cool. And how you, like you could kill different types of orcs, like orcs from different factions that were like legendary in order to get certain legendary drops and that sort of a thing. I thought was really cool. So there was just yeah. a lot that I really enjoyed about that game. And it's really strong in the like emergent gameplay department. If it's the first game like in that kind of genre you've played, it definitely makes a strong impression on you. The the genre as a whole I think got a little bit uh fatigued and overdone. I would call it like the Ubisoft genre uh, to, to put a label on it. But like the first time you play something like that, it is really unique because you're just like, the game is kind of basically just, yeah, you can just go at like anywhere on the map. At It is like, I guess, almost a Breath of the Wild experience, maybe a little more structured, but that's still, you can go anywhere on the map and you can interact with the world and all of these interesting and different ways. And like you're gonna find some unique angle that like makes it your playthrough in ways that other linear story games might not offer you yeah exactly like do you want to just charge into this stronghold of orcs and just kill them all with like just melee it up you can do that do you want to like capture a dragon and fly that dragon over the fortress and like just burn it from the sky you can do that do you want to stealth around and just sneaky sneakily kill everybody and subvert like play the politics game where you subvert like some of the orc warlords and then do the siege and then they betray like the the overseer of it uh, of that fortress you know there's there's a lot of different ways that you can do it and like like you said Joe I think 
that is probably my favorite part of like, cause I, I just like that in games is just like, you can explore, you can kind of go wherever you can do it your way. And all of those ways feel rewarding. And so, yeah. so I, I really enjoyed it. And the expansions are pretty cool too. You get to be like a little Gondoranian dude or the elf. Mm-hmm. I forget her name. Yeah. I remember those, uh, real quick as we move on. Joe, you mentioned like the Ubisoft formula, and I agree. They took like the Ubisoft formula and they took the Batman Arkham Combat and they made this crazy game in a Lord of the Rings skin. But I don't think anybody has taken the Nemesis system and used it as well as they have. Like, I think some of the newer Assassin's Creeds have like those mercenaries and the bounties and stuff like that that are similar, but like just the layers of kind of stuff you could do with the nemesis system was super fun. That was what addict like got me addicted to the first one was just as that, that system opened up, I was just like, wait, what I can do what? (laughs) Yeah. Like I got very sidetracked, um, just trying to like manipulate the orc army and like, yeah, get my dude to the top, but just completely ignored the rest of the game. That was all I wanted to do. Yeah. So that, that I think is what sets it apart. I also have to throw out, the little note Joe was talking about how overexposed a certain aspect of it got. I feel the same way about the Batman Arkham combat. I've been, I played some city the other day and Oh my goodness. I love the combat in that game so much. But then I remembered like, remember how for like three years, everyone did this and it just got so excited. Like, Oh look, it's another game where you just, if you're good at rhythm, you win. Cool. Yeah. Although in the, in the shadow of war and shadow border games, there was a lot of like, impaling and decapitating and stuff that made it very like visceral and exciting yes. see i i don't i don't want to dunk on the game dylan just as like this is great it's amazing i didn't like that like i didn't it wasn't just the visceralness of it i just didn't like the combat in it so it was like ah oh. I, I, okay yeah basically how you described it though like on paper it's like somebody was pitching me like their elevator pitch elevator of pitch. like yeah imagine like an open world ubisoft type of game with the batman arkham asylum combat but it's lord of the rings and it's just like you win no one else has, it to has play. this really cool <laughs> like nemesis system where you can mm-hmm. mind control orcs and make them work for you and yeah that's cool uh joe let's go you let's what's your number five my number five is divinity original sin 2 um and i know the- there's a lot of overlap here so let's go ahead and i've heard nothing Uh, but great things about this game yeah Yeah. so no one else here has played it so we don't need to spend a ton of time um i played the first island so the (laughs) divinity original is a it's in the style of like the old crpg so baldur's gate neverwinter nights turn-based combat but you have a party you run around in a 2.5d perspective and explore an open world and what makes this stand out two things one of the side features so the game has a really great multiplayer co-op system like it's not just oh give your little brother a controller it is full co-op and your co-op partners have full agency the other is they have a really neat user-generated content system this is the closest we've ever gotten to digital D. There's, if you want to go look it up, Matt Mercer actually ran a couple of campaigns in Divinity Original Sin 2. It offered him enough flexibility that he was like, these are props that represent the story I'm telling. So you can play with these. Wow. But as a game, I think I have 70 hours in a single playthrough. And 
I was enraptured the whole time. Like the the writing is top notch. You have a party of four and you get fully invested in your party of four. You want to see where their stories go, how they end. The combat, it's nothing to write home about, but it is fun. You know, there's little neat interactions you can find. And it was one of those, like, it really was a, like, grabbed you and then you couldn't put it down until you were done kind of games it wasn't like a oh well okay i'm just gonna play this for a bit and then i'll stall out i should go back to it it was like no i want to see this through to the end that's actually why i stopped it because i was like busy and i was like no i need to fully invest my attention once you get past the first island it really just it takes off and um it was it stands out like of the last generation one of the like the most fun times i had was playing through that i played a, a very sarcastic skeleton and I, I kind of regret that i picked him now because if you're if he's in your party his voice lines are like so much better than like anything i can think of um <laughs> the, the trick is you actually you want to pick the like blandest character for yourself so that way you're hearing the voice lines of like all the interesting characters joe have you played disco elysium no it's on my list I've heard a lot of really good things about that game too, and it seemed right up your alley. So that's it's you. it, yeah. For the the same reasons, it's like it's on my list. I just need to like, okay, I'm not playing anything right now. Buy it, download it, and start it. Well, Shadowlands just got delayed, so right. <laughs> yeah, now I, I have a chunk of time in November that I is now just open. I think a friend of mine just recently asked me if I had played Disco Elysium and then talked to me about it. And I, yeah, I think from if that's the game I'm thinking they described to me, that it does sound really rad. Yeah, I think it's coming to like Xbox and maybe Switch. It it is a it is a Caleb and Joe game. It's there's a very specific overlap that has to happen for that to be a thing. But Well, speaking of that, Caleb, what's your number five? My number five is Donkey Kong Country Tropic Freeze. Fantastic game. Uh, Follow-up from Retro Studios. They made Donkey Kong Country Returns after, you know, years of Donkey Kong as a series being kind of the weird... Like, we had the original Donkey Kong Country trilogy. We had Donkey Kong 64. We had some games with some bongos where they Nintendo was like, let's do Guitar <laughs> Hero, but with a bongo drum. And also yeah. almost no licensed music. And So it was like donkey kong music and like happy birthday sort of stuff <laughs> but then there were like three or four actual licensed songs so like you'd get something like wait hang on is this i i don't know uh funky town or whatnot like what what is this but then finally retro's like here's just a like straightforward donkey kong side scrolling platformer it was really good and then rayman origins came out the same year and so it couldn't be the best platformer of that year and then Donkey Kong Country Tropic Freeze came out, and it just, like, slam dunk one of the best side-scrolling platformers in a couple decades, like, since the Super Nintendo era. It's it's phenomenal. Each It's got fewer levels than most, because, like, most platformers go for, like, it has 90 levels. This one is, like, maybe 50? Maybe 60. I don't know. It's It's lower by a considerable margin, but each level is so huge and creative, and it, like tells these little stories like you go through and it's like oh it starts off in this kind of area and then it goes to this different area you actually feel like you're kind of on an adventure it also avoids the normal platformer pitfall of like here's the grass area here is the ice level here is the you know whatever so like each section is each world has its own theme and it's pretty unique so like one's like a safari except 
it you know storms start hitting it and then like it, the planes catch on fire it, it's just got all this sort of wild interesting stuff going on uh it adds the benefit of like you're playing as donkey kong but in the first game you could get diddy kong and he could be a player too or he could just ride on your back you get a bonus of like the little rocket barrel this one brings mm-hmm. back dixie kong who is one of my favorite like video game characters because she's so handy and she returns to do like just the helicopter spin, which is the most convenient upgrade in the entire right. game. It's sort of like, oh yeah, you can be Diddy or Dixie or Cranky, and you're like, I just picked Dixie the entire game. Um, but Cranky has this nice little duck, uh, Scrooge McDuck pogo stick bounce that's neat. It's a really fun game. They got David Wise back from the original mm-hmm. trilogy to do the music, and it's phenomenal. Like I forgot, video game music could be that good. But no, it's just like it's a really fun game. It it's it's that thing where. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just the nicest version of the wheel. Like it is no joke. Rayman Legends comes very, very close. And that almost made my list. But it is probably of the past decade, my favorite side scrolling platformer. Like it's really, really good. Yeah, I'm constantly hearing good things about it. I just haven't been like, I I need to spend the $60 and play this right now. I know Uh, as soon as I start it, I'll probably like it. But yeah, it does have the Nintendo tax where it's like, we ported it to Switch, and everyone who didn't buy, you know, everyone who wasn't me and didn't buy a Wii U, and I bought it because it's like, ah, the Wii U, it has only eight games. They're all really good, but, you know, there's only eight of them. But they're like, okay, we did finally bring it to Switch, and they're like, it's still $60. And that's, you know, like, that's that's about it. They added Funky Kong, which is basically the easy <laughs> mode. Right. But that that was about it. But yeah, no, it's, it's an investment, but it is absolutely worth the $60, I'd say. Joe, you had thoughts? Yeah, uh, are there any any raps in there that are on par <laughs> with the old Donkey Kong rap? Because that nope. that's my holdout point. That's that is very very <laughs> fair. There is not anything approaching the Donkey Kong rap. Although the the first ukulele game has a has a ukulele rap hidden somewhere in there, written by so, the same guy who uh, did the Donkey Kong Country rap. Just the inclusion of Funky Kong, like that, might make up for it. That's true. Although, because he's a playable character, he doesn't have like a little shop you can go to. And in the old games, his the shop was his like uh, little airplane music was the coolest song in the entire game. And so I'm like, ah, I kind of miss that. But the music, the rest of the game's music is really good to make up for it. But so the the diagram where the two circles like overlap or whatever, that's a Venn diagram, right? Yep. Yeah. So the Caleb Joe Venn diagram is is Funky Kong, apparently. <laughs> He's a, All right. he's a he's he's like what if Vin Diesel was a Oh my god. <laughs> you had to bring him up. Vin Diesel released a song last week and everybody should go listen to it because it's not as bad as you would expect, but it it's still very Vin Diesel. It's it, a glowing oh endorsement. <laughs> yeah. It's not as bad as you would expect. Ladies and gentlemen, like Warcraft. Movies. I don't hate it. But it's and, not as good. or not, yeah, It's not good, but I, I don't hate that. it. And Vin Diesel, it's not as bad as you would expect. Yeah. We have glowing endorsements here at Level Playing Field. Let, let me do my number five real quick. So my number five is Red Dead Redemption 2. So this, I just want to start by saying this list was really hard to not only create, but to rank. And I really, really liked Red Dead 2. I, I think it's amazing i think whenever i would hear people gushing about how good like the last of us 2 looked i would always think to myself did they not see red dead 2 (laughs) like i think it was one of those games where it like it looked incredible but was also like a an open world that had like 
things going on in it, whereas Last of Us was more linear. But I just I ended up loving the characters, loving the story. It was a very melancholy story, of course. But like I went into it thinking there's no way that Arthur Morgan could be as cool as John Marston, and then by the end I, I liked him better. I've talked about Arthur Morgan on episodes before being like one of my favorite video game characters. And just that game is a technical like showpiece. It's extremely impressive what they did graphically, world building, all of that. But then the characters are great. The story's great. The gameplay, I enjoy it. I thought that the semi stuff was was okay and it was ignorable if you wanted to. I thought that, you know, some of the ways it slowed you down were was kind of tedious, but I for the story they were telling and the world they were building, I I embraced it for that game. Like if it had been Grand Theft Auto or something, it would have been annoying. But the overall package, the whole story, like everything together, I thought was just fantastic. It was my game of the year for that year. I thought it was great. I loved the first one and I thought that they did a, an incredible job creating a prequel to the game I had already played and telling a story like I knew how it was going to end, but I was still extremely invested and and honestly it was kind of wondering like what's going to happen next next like there were surprises here and there things that happened that i didn't expect back to the gameplay a lot of the missions did just kind of end in like a shootout which you know was kind of it is what there there's an argument out there that rockstar doesn't really deviate from their gameplay like structure ever at all and i get that and i see that and i acknowledge that but i still don't think that takes away enough from the overall game and the overall story and presentation that was shown with this game to bring it down it did end up at number five because you know i had four other games that i think ranked above it but the the i don't know what the right word is or the right terminology but like the space between these games is some of them is smaller than others but it, it, a tight race as they might say yeah, it's quite tight, some of these. And who knows, on any given day of the week, I may go back and replay Red Dead 2 and be like, ah, oh, man, maybe that is a little bit better than my number four. You know? <laughs> but yeah, Red Dead, Red Dead 2, great game. Red Dead 1, great game. Great game of the last generation. But yeah, and then mm. everything they've done with their like online platform, which I haven't stuck with, but the fact that they just keep updating it and adding to it, and if you do want to kind of exist in that world and that's your go-to game and it's your platform... They're constantly adding things to do and, and stuff to do. It's not nearly as big, doesn't seem as big as Grand Theft Auto, which, I mean, what really could be. But the fact they're still supporting it, you can still jump in there and spend tons of hours doing pretty much whatever you want in that universe is is really cool. It's definitely like a technical accomplishment. That's like, that's yeah. one that I remember playing and kind of going, whoa, this is, this is next gen. Which is ironic because I don't think I've seen any. Well, of course, I never played. I haven't played any of these, but you know, there's like all these trailers haven't shown it off so much. But like Red Dead Two, that was like, whoa, this is something else in terms of like the visual fidelity. And I may have to pick it up on PC one of these days just to see how it does. You know, uncapped from needing to run on hardware that's like six years old at this point. I think it'd be interesting too if they port it to next gen and like whatever they do to enhance it on the Series X. Like obviously PC is probably always going to be the best place to play it, but like if they can like you're talking about unlock some stuff 
that maybe they had to kind of hold back on current generations that they could do on like especially the series x i think that'd be really cool dylan number four my number four just like andrew was saying i feel like these next couple for me were tough to like any given day i feel like i would swap them and and a lot of this i recognize as probably a recency bias but my number four is jedi fallen order so one of the few games from this generation that i actually 100 percented and did absolutely everything in the game just because i wanted so much and and more like i got to the end of the story and i was just like well i can't just stop playing this now i, <laughs> I guess i'll do the achievements because i still want to play this game and so jedi fallen order is the the star Wars, like the respawn developed star wars game that ea put out that's not battlefront or battlefront 2 because they've only put out three star wars games a fourth came out this week but three basically and so do you count the sims no i don't count the sims expansion (laughs) as a star wars game but jedi fallen order is like a i'm trying to think of a great way to explain it because it's, it's a third kind of person an, action yeah. game with kind of some it's sort of souls elements. Yeah. It's like a souls like Star Wars game with some kind of like uncharted mm-hmm. slash Tomb, Tomb Raider, Raider exploration mm-hmm. layered onto it. Yeah. And so like I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so already I was like bought into this game. I really enjoyed the story, even though like I guess really for a Star Wars game, it wasn't like super mind blowing. Like it's not Knights of the Old Republic levels really, but it was still a very good story and I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought really, it was good. Yeah. Like I really liked the the character Cal and um, I'm forgetting the, his ma- like the girl who came and mm-hmm. was kind of his master. Um, yeah, I can't remember her name either. But she was super cool. So I really just enjoyed this. Like, I really enjoyed the story. Like I said, it. I, I would still probably rank like Knights of the Old Republic one and probably two above it um, story-wise. But like, as far as gameplay-wise, like I felt like I was playing as a Jedi in this game. And it didn't have the, like, we talked earlier about how like for a while their games were sort of falling into that Arkham style of, button mash gameplay in a rhythm mm. and this was decidedly not that i think it yeah. would have been easy for them to have just done that instead i feel like they could have gotten away with that and been successful but instead they went for like a Sekiro light sort of style of combat yeah. which was a little bit more challenging but i thought was like very rewarding once you kind of got the hang of it the force powers and stuff that they let you use were really cool and and just kind of the way that you could utilize those to like take out all the the enemies and just like the entire final scene of mm-hmm. of the story was mind-blowing and so good so if you it was have one of the most intense segments in a game i think i've ever played yes like if you have not i'm not going to spoil it because if you haven't played this game like it's worth playing through just to get to that last like scene but I'm also really excited to see what they do with this in the future. Just because yeah, I it was think, a good foundation for a series. Yeah, like it. I think we talked about it in our episode that we did a deep dive in this game on. But like, it kind of feels very much like a sort of like Uncharted one was good, but it really just kind of set the stage for like all of the better ones that came after it. And so yeah, or like Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. 
And and so I'm hoping that that's what this is. But yeah, I and again, it played right into what I love about games of just getting to like go around, play in the world, explore, figure new things out. Do fight with things. a lightsaber. Fight with a lightsaber. Which is all anyone it. ever really wants to yeah, do. That, that was really the yeah. key. Was just get, get, let me fight with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. The, um, the Star Wars skin on that game made it like and, it gave it a whole extra point in mm-hmm. its review for me. Yeah, yeah, and it like and fight with a lightsaber and made it feel real. Like yeah, it felt right. Like like basic stormtroopers would go down in like a single hit, and they solved that problem by like giving you enemies that would were believably resistant to like lightsabers and you're like oh it makes sense that i can't just yeah immediately one hit this person like i could in a stormtrooper because that's that's always like an interesting challenge when you're making the star wars games is that like well a lightsaber cuts through most people right away like as we've seen in the movies (laughs) but also that wouldn't make for a fun game so how do you yeah and ignoring the fact that you could only like decapitate critters and robots or like you know cut limbs off and stuff and also if you slice the environment it just kind of like scarred it it didn't you know but all that aside it felt like the most realistic lightsaber we've, <laughs> look we already just talked about <laughs> about the effects crunch has on the industry the the do you really want some poor coder to have to be like all right when you swing the lightsaber into this jagged rock it needs to actually cut through in the angle that it does the thing like i, I well, yeah and that is something we mentioned when we did do a deep dive on that game is that it could have stayed in development for like another three to six months because there were some rough edges on it but overall a fun experience joe what's your number four number four is spray which is also tied with dishonor 2 and just i, I just want to put like arcane in general at number four um, <laughs> about, yeah. but I, i'm gonna go with specifically prey because prey had a really interesting story dishonor 2 good story good game like all that but its story was like fairly standard fare prey did a couple of like really interesting things that appealed to me specifically because it's in space um <laughs> i mean yeah. which like yeah that that you put your thing in space i like it more it's also funny because this but is the, on the caleb joe venn diagram it's just not on my list because i haven't i've only played like the first five hours and i'm like i love this and then i just I, yeah, I, this is that like you the put gameplay Funky Kong is... in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is that like oh, the gameplay is really like neat and interesting, and also like the story they tell is like does these weird things that yeah appeals to the Caleb's out there. But it, it's so all of these games, Dishonored Two and all that, they're wrapped up in a genre called immersive sims, uh, which is something I really like. And it's this idea that you kind of can take the game at your own pace in your own way. Especially Prey, because Prey didn't have levels or missions. Prey was you were dropped on a space station and you just run through the entire game. A little bit of Metroidvania in that, like, here's all the levels. You can't get everywhere at first. You got to unlock some stuff. But, like, you can go wherever, do stuff in a little bit of a freeform order. And the story had, like, sci-fi elements and thriller elements and... um just scared the bejesus out of me a couple of times uh, there's some <laughs> not fun moments in that game the opening that's what i uh, love in my games is not fun moments the opening like um 
hour or so, like that whole prologue, and then when you wake up on the space station, it's like a really big mind screw of like, wait, what's go? What what am I playing? What's going on? What's yeah, happening? and it, it keeps going like on and on. And there's actually like it's really interesting too because as you beat the game, you realize that like, oh, I could have beat the game actually much sooner if I really knew what was going on i could have ended this way faster mm. and that's what like most speedruns are based off of is having that knowledge I, and i i that kind of thing like really i just appeals to something and then yeah and the 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 thing that really gets you with this game is there's enemies who will imitate like the props in the world so like mugs chairs like you know those little movable objects they will imitate one of them and then as you get close they're like little spider face, things yeah little spider deals kind of reminiscent of like face huggers or the crabs Head from crabs. half-life and they'll, they'll leap at you and nope. the worst part is it plays a specific bit of music when one's nearby and you hear that little bit, bit of music kick in and then all of a sudden you're smashing everything in sight and yeah it's spooky but like it gets me in a way that's like oh i would really like to play another game of this oh yeah the the mm. the bit i always like get back to is like you get to the point and like i said i only played like the first five or six hours so i wasn't even that far in but it gets to a point where you walk in a room and you're like there are too many chairs here one of these is wrong yeah and and you just start like throwing stuff at the chairs until you find <laughs> like the thing you're looking for and and also because it's that immersive sim you really get to approach how you like to play um, you can specialize your build, go for certain upgrades, which is the same deal in Dishonored. Like in Dishonored, you can really like pick how you want to approach the situation. And I, I really like games where it's like, here's all the same content, and we're going to give you a fair amount of flexibility. And like, do you want to be sneaky? Do you want to be loud? Like to the point where you want to then play the game again, but in a different specialization because that will radically change how you perceive the game yeah like a deus ex sort of type of it's like literally game. a spiritual successor to like the deus ex era of gaming i was gonna say i the I, part of the reason i've only played the first five or six hours is because i played it twice like i i rented it played it and then like oh i gotta buy this this is a this is good enough that i have to purchase it and then like six months later finally sat down and purchased it uh and couldn't remember where i was so i just started over mm -hmm. but the first time i played it i accidentally kind of without realizing what i was doing specialized in something that was interesting but very very not combat specific so it was like oh i i'm gonna die every time i walk into a room but they have these turrets that you can reprogram and then just kind of carry them around and like in a lot of other games to be like yeah but there are limits to it no I literally just carried this turret around everywhere. Like, and I go into a new area, I take it through the door, set it down, explore. I'm like, oh, there are bad guys over there. Go back to where I put the turret, pick it up, set it down, and let it do the work for me. <laughs> so, good game. Good pick, Joe. Yeah, I'm hearing well, we should add it to the Andrew Spooktober playlist. For... <laughs> no, I don't I don't think that. I'll, I'll play it whenever you do your first guitar solo. Mm. Fair. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> I'll pick an easy song. Okay. <laughs> what, what what's your next game, Caleb? What you got on your list? So my next game, where it's this is this is not going to surprise none of my games should surprise anyone from here on out. But uh, pick number four is the rebooted God of War. We did an entire spoiler cast on this sucker. It's a really really good game. The story's good. The direction's top notch. 
it still has my vote for most satisfying combat system in a video game. Yeah. You hit things with an axe and man, is it fun. I replayed it. It's not just hitting with an axe though. Like there's so much depth in that combat system that you don't really perceive at first. Yep, yep, yep. It it has this thing where it, it almost like teaches you a language and how to do combat and you just sort of learn it like, oh yeah, you shift between the different weapons and then you shift between the different stances with the different weapons. Like once you've unlocked enough, you you basically don't even really think like, oh, I need it just is instinctive after a certain point, but it's really And then you've got Atreus with his bow and his abilities mm-hmm. and you that you kinda of throw into the mix. And you gotta think, okay, when's the good time to use these kind of arrows? When's the good time to use these kind of arrows? It's it's really, really nuanced if you think about it. And the more I pick it apart, the more I'm like, Yeah, no, they they just kinda of nailed this to the point where with, with the forthcoming one, I'm like, I'm interested to see cause in all of these sort of games, you sort of iterate and refine. It's funny, I talked about Arkham earlier, partially because my sister is going through the Arkham games. She's now on City, and she's like, hey, they changed a bunch of stuff. And some of it she's not happy about because muscle memory, like, okay, now I have to hit this button instead of this button. Some of she's like, hey, this part's better. I'm like, yeah, they, 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 they figured out a lot of stuff with this one. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, like, what do they improve on? What, like, I hope they don't make any decisions that are like, oh, wait, no, it was better last time. But I am curious to see how how it gets tweaked going forward. But no, it's really good story. Uh, I always, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of Hades now. Well, towards the end of Hades. And uh, I love mythology. God of War is a really, really good, like, Norse mythology story. It's very focused. And I was surprised at how focused. Because, like, the joke with mm-hmm. the, the previous God of Wars, which I don't much care for, are like, oh, yeah, just throw every piece of Greek mythology at the wall. And it's all violent over the top. It's like. They pick like four things from Norse mythology and then they really kind of dig into the drama of those like four things. And it's really, really good. And I am super excited to see how they carry it. It was like a very like local family story. Like it was these characters and that was it that it kind of focused on, which, yeah, surprised me too. Um, Although there is still it's as localized as it is. It's amazing how big the scope is. There was a point where I'm like, when you go across, because we're doing minor spoilers here, when you go to the Bifrost the first time and go to another realm, I'm like, how big is this game? Because all of a sudden, yeah. I'm not certain. Yeah, how long is it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And some of the like, I mean, the set piece, like the the giant snake and all that kind of stuff. It's like, even though the story is kind of localized, like the world is not like the world is very, you can tell there's more going on here. and There's a lot of history and stuff that has happened before you showed up. And I am very curious to see how, like, now I'm just excited because now that they've laid a lot of the groundwork, I'm like, okay, now what? And some of the groundwork they laid has huge implications for like, okay, here's what's next for these characters. And it is some stuff that's going to be very, very exciting. So absolutely one of my favorite games of the generation. Not a game I was expecting to love as much as I did, because again, I do not care for the old God of War games. But it is one that I actually have to keep myself from replaying like i just played it at the <laughs> at, at the beginning of this year and i'm still constantly like i could I, I could do new game plus i haven't done new game plus yet i could i could do it. <laughs> yeah it's it's on the back half of my list i'll i'll end up shouting it out later but um let's see for my next one my number four i have another playstation exclusive marvel spider-man hey <laughs> Stop shaking your head, Dylan. <laughs> this game was the game that made me buy a PlayStation. I'm sure I've told that story multiple times on this podcast. But He also likes The Witcher and Bloodborne. 
Yeah. Hey, spoilers. <laughs> Look at the posters in the back. No. Um, Spider-Man, though, like it was in all the marketing leading up to it. I knew it was going to be PlayStation exclusive. And plus, Spider-Man games had kind of burned us up to that point. Like we had movie tie-ins. We had like Spider-Man 2 is great. There were a few good Spider-Man games. Shattered Dimensions we had, is very underrated in terms of like. Right. Yeah. Shattered Dimensions. But then there was a sequel to that that wasn't quite as good. I played both of those. Then there was like the Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, like just all these very okay Spider-Man games. So and for context, ladies my, and gentlemen, me and Andrew are both huge Spider-Man fans. Like I joke that I'm like a oh, mainly yeah. a DC guy, but it comes with the asterisk. It's like I'm a DC guy, then a Marvel guy, but most of all, I am a Spider-Man guy. Yeah, Spider-Man is like my favorite superhero. But I was still kind of going into this game thinking okay, it's a PlayStation exclusive. Some of the the past games haven't been like that amazing. I didn't really, at that time, I was kind of like getting into the industry and stuff. So I really didn't know Insomniac that well and all that kind of stuff. Well, then I started seeing like the promo material before it came out, some of the trailers and like the gameplay clips and stuff. And I was like, oh man, this this is starting to look really good. This looks like exactly what I would want from a Spider-Man game. Then the game came out. Then the rev- like, and then all the reviews were coming out, and the like thought pieces and stuff like that. And I was watching a bunch of them, and I was like, I I have to play this game. I can't. and so I went out and I bought a PlayStation and I booted it up. I played, started playing that game and swinging through the city. And even though it's like the first mission, you're like it starts you out kind of on like an on rails mission thing, fighting Kingpin and his goons. And I was like, okay, what? Where's Triangle? Like, what is Y on this controller? Where's X? I don't understand. Aside from that, once I got out of that on rail section, it was just in the city. It was like I don't care what the buttons are. I don't care about anything else. I know how to swing in the city, and it feels right. And that moment, just swinging through the city. Everything just looked, felt, the vibe was right, the tone, everything. I just was like, I had this big stupid smile on my face and my wife was like, so I guess it was worth it. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it was worth it. Yeah, just just swinging through the city. Like there's there's other game to play, I guess, but just swinging through the city and that. It's like, yep, this is worth an entire PlayStation purchase. Yeah, it was, it was pure like childhood joy, nostalgia. It was like they hit all the right notes and I was... I was into it, which I mean, it opened a gateway to a bunch of other awesome games, which I thought, which I'm glad. Um, but that was also, I, I haven't really thought about it up until just now when I was talking about, you know, I wasn't really paying attention so much to the marketing cycle and stuff like that. That was kind of the game that kicked off my like listening to gaming podcasts and getting into that kind of stuff because IGN has a podcast series called Unfiltered where they interview people from the industry, like, big people and stuff. And not too long after this game came out, they did an interview with the head of Insomniac. And I listened to that podcast and that interview. And that just kind of set this whole thing in motion where we are now. So I guess Marvel Spider-Man created level playing field is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Still only got the number four spot though. Yeah. Because (laughs) at the end of the day, it is still like, I mean, it's open world, but it's a smaller experience. It's, the story is pretty self-contained and outside of the story and some side activities, the world doesn't do much except let you just swing through it. So there are some things where other games I've lived in versus this one. I just really enjoyed playing. I did. This is the only game I think I have a platinum on. Yeah. 
Um, I got every trophy, all that. The other game, I have a hundred percent of the game, and that's in like my honorable mentions or my back half of my list, which is Black Flag. I got everything in that game. But I think those are the only two games I've ever done that for. So like I really did love this game. But yeah, like I said, these games are close. Yeah. <laughs> so just because it's number four, that might just be yeah. like half a percent that I love it less than some of the ones that are coming up afterwards. But. Yeah. As you're playing through Miles Morales, it might be number one, <laughs> number two. Right. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Number three, Dylan, your turn. Uh, so number three, like I said, this may be a little bit of recency bias because putting this one and Jedi Fall in order in an order was tough. But this one, my number three is Control. So. Which is pretty recent for you. Yes, so it came out like September, late two thousand nineteen, yeah, sometime yeah. in the the fall of twenty nineteen, and it is set within the Alan Wake universe, it's which a, we didn't really know at the time. Yeah, so it's a game by Remedy Studios, and basically you play as Jesse Faden, who shows up at this building in New York City to figure out like they something happened with her brother, and she's trying to figure out what happened and so she shows up and finds the the head of this nondescript government agency dead in his office and picks up his gun yes and and picks up his gun and becomes the new director of the federal bureau of control and so the the bureau is under attack and she has to figure out what's going on with everything and try to push back the threat that could overwhelm the world if she doesn't and so it was a super interesting story to me i i really like the sort of supernatural like like the mesh between like this very normal very boring government agency Mm -hmm. also dealing with like supernatural elements so kind of like a men in black sort of thing or a uh an X-Files sort of thing where it's like, here's all this paperwork that they had to do. But also like we're talking about these other world, like other planes of existence and stuff. It also has a twin peaks vibe at times with its. Yes. That's odd. Yes. So very, and, and like, I'm all about that kind of a story. And so I just really loved going through that game. I really loved the combat and just all the different things that you could do. Like I know everybody. I want to stop you there for a second combat yes i heard a lot of people saying that control had the better star wars combat than like the better force powers than fallen order like when those two games were kind of in the conversation at the time there are people that were saying that like the force powers and control were more satisfying than than the star wars game and i was curious to to hear since they're both on your list and you like both of them a lot would you agree to that or do you think the Star Wars skin still made uh, Fallen Order more satisfying? It's tough for me because even when I play through like a Star Wars Jedi story, I primarily like to play with just the lightsaber. Like I'm not about like using force powers to throw things around. Typically, like that's an afterthought. I would say that like if you're talking strictly about like force push or force throw or whatever, I would say control is probably the better version of that. Like I definitely enjoyed using the throw mechanic a lot more. I thought it was really cool. And it was like very the, snappy. Like, yeah, it wasn't really something you had to like, okay, I'm going to grab this and aim. And like, it was just 
you would rip out a chunk of concrete and hurl it at somebody and it took half a second it was no matter where you were what had like what was going on you could always rip something from the environment whether it was a a desk yeah like you said a chunk of the floor whatever you and you could throw it that mixed with the fact that you could just levitate at a certain point whenever you wanted was was pretty cool yeah like i because i love just kind of like flying around shooting my pistol like throwing random things from the environment at enemies and and just kind of did you uh, like the weapon I, I mean, we're I kind of it. spoiling our spoiler cast that we'll have on this game at some point. But yeah, I I really liked the weapon. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a really cool concept. Yeah, because like I only used probably like I really probably only loved like two of the versions, but I thought the the concept of like the pistol that or the gun that service weapon that changed for your needs and that you could kind of spec out each version. I thought that was a cool structure. I like just just changing weapons like as I was running around just to watch that animation, the way <laughs> yeah. it was just reforming your hand. That was cool. Did anyone besides me ever play to play? Uh, uh, oh shoot, Vanquish, Vanquish, the uh, Platinum Studios game. I I I've heard about it, and didn't it recently like, get kind of like a re-release? It, it or something? did. It's it's really yeah. good. It's probably my favorite Platinum game actually, even though I'm terrible at it as I am with most spectacle <laughs> action games. But it had a similar thing where like you. You have like a high tech weapon that like literally like a transformer that turns like, okay, well, I equip my shotgun. He's always holding the same gun, but like it morphs into a different gun each time. And I had the similar thing where it's just like, I'm walking around on board. So I'll just flip the flip between the versions back and forth. And it was just cool to watch the animation shift around to each different function. Yeah, because even Mass Effect had something very similar to that where it would like you had the same base gun but then you had attachments that you would put on it to make it like the shotgun or the sniper or so yeah i i really like that like you said i kind of found like the two that i liked the best and stuck with those throughout most of the game which the game doesn't punish you for like it doesn't it's not like you have to use certain weapons in certain areas or something like that right basically just like what do you like best use those so i really liked just similar to like shadow of war and jedi fallen order it was basically like I loved the world it gave me to explore and the kind of like, and and do this however you want, do it in whatever order you want, do it like, you know, just kind of go go wild in this world that we've created. And so- How'd you feel about the ashtray maze? I really liked the ashtray maze a lot. I thought it was super cool. Like, I kept trying to go there all throughout the story, but I right. didn't have the thing, like, because you and Joe had you talked have- about it. And yeah. I was like, I need. All right, so hang on, we gotta come clean. How long did all of us spend in the ashtray maze trying to get into it the first time you found it? Uh, it was a good. It was a. It was a good minute for me. I probably a good like five minutes till I finally pulled up a guide and was like, you have to, you have to come back here at a certain point in the story after you know you talk to the janitor at this point or something. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. And then I quit. But I I probably, if I hadn't have pulled up a guide, I could have just been there. I could still be there. I spent a couple of minutes just like into, eventually it starts cycling through the permutations of like the directions it'll have you go. And it became yeah. very clear that it was like, oh, okay. These are like the same four ways that it's going to let me go. And none of them. I knew it was like the same four ways 
but I thought that was my fault. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I did something wrong. Let me try this. Apparently I didn't go the right way. Like, and so I just kept, (laughs) just kept beating my head into that wall over and over until I was like, this is dumb. Let me look it up. (laughs) I didn't go there until the game told me to, but the Mm -hmm. game tells you to go there and then to go back and then go. And I was really like, okay, the game's told me to go here and Tom had said, let me know when you get there. So I thought there was some trick. And I spent probably 10 minutes just going in loops around like, I can be fast enough. I can make it. I can do it. I can make it. And then I finally like double checked what like the journal said. And was like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to be here. I need to go. I had also heard about it before I got there and heard like people talk about it being like a really cool moment. And so I was like, oh, this is the ashtray maze. This is the thing. And yeah, similar experience where I just kept trying to yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to find I... some trick and like this whole thing's going to open up. And now did you guys, get... I feel like, yeah, we're We need to do a spoiler through... cast. I need to yeah. finish the game so we can get on that note. I do want to throw out two things. Cause just, just one, it's story-wise, I haven't gotten far enough to make my verdict on the story, but it is one of the best directed games I have seen in a long time. It's very intentional about like, a lot of times when we say, oh, that game's well-directed in terms of its visual style, it's just like, oh, it uh, it looks vaguely cinematic and nice. Like, it's that's they they think about shot composition, I don't know. But this is like really like, specific this is, this is the style we're going for, it has an aesthetic, mm-hmm. it's very and it's a unique style. I, I brought up Twin Peaks for a reason. Anyone who's actually seen Twin Peaks will be like, no, you don't mean I'm like, yes, I do. It, it gets that weird. The other thing is I'm a giant architecture nerd. And like this hardcore is like, hey, you know, like brutalism, like that kind of like oppressive, heavy, like concrete thing. It's like, what if we made a game about that? So like the architecture in there is just constantly fascinating of like, it's got a theme. It's got a mood. Uh, and it establishes a lot of mood just from the rooms and the shape of the buildings and whatnot. It's great. Yes. Like, it's, it is such a surreal game, especially the back half of that game is so surreal and it's so satisfying. And, like, I played through the two DLCs as well. Also super satisfying. And I'm looking forward to seeing where this series in general goes. I don't know. Like, I think we talked about this last time when we talked about that I had played the game and beaten it, but just kind of like, I don't know if there will be a control two or if there is when that will be, but they're definitely going to do more within this universe because they're Mm. clearly like, I've played through a couple of episodes of Alan Wake at this point and I'm, I beat control and I'll play through like whatever comes next, but they're clearly like all interconnected and, and doing something with the story. And so I'm, I like this universe and this world a lot. And so I'm interested to kind of keep seeing where they go with it. Yeah. Let me Good. know when you finish uh, chapter four in Alan Wake, because that is one of my favorite moments in a video game ever. Just that it's the most cathartic, satisfying and ridiculously awesome thing. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll I praise Joe. Let's move on to you. We got a we got we still got a bunch we of got, games to talk about. We still got about. a bunch of games <laughs> to get through. So it's okay though because this is another game that nobody who's This here one was today interesting to me played. because and there might be a little bit of recency bias, but I I also th- still stand by it even if even accounting for recency bias I stand with this. Number 3 for me is Spirit Fair, which is a very recent entry. Um and Extremely I think it recent. came out on the PC and Switch, but came on the Switch, so it counts. Um, it's on Xbox as well. 
It's on it? Game Pass. Okay. Oh, yeah, Didn't you play it on yeah, Game Pass? I, well, I did, but I played it on the PC Game Pass, and like that's not a one-to-one But it's cool because I've I've started it and I'm bouncing back back and forth between my console and my PC. Like if I'm in my bedroom doing stuff, I'll like hop in and do a few little things here and there. Oh, does the save transfer? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's neat. Microsoft. Yeah, it's really cool. I wasn't. I did some googling before. Like I tried it to see like do all Game Pass games that are on both do this to Spirit Fair specifically, and I wasn't like I couldn't get a clear answer, so I was just like, screw it, I'll try it. And so I started it on Xbox. And then later that evening went to my PC and booted it up and it was like right where I had left off. So it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's I would, neat. I want to um, shout out like I would love to play this. Like this is the perfect xCloud game because it's the same reason it's good on Switch is it's like I would love to just pop this open if like I'm riding some with someone to go somewhere and do a couple things or if I'm like on my lunch break at work or whatever and just pull it up on my phone and do a couple things. But, you know, we're not quite there. Yeah, it definitely, like, would be an excellent Switch game, and I would have got it there if, if I didn't have Game Pass. But Spirit Fair clocks in at number three because this might be the most emotional I've ever gotten over a game ever. Wow. The, the concept of the game is you take over as the fairy person of, like, fairy is in, like, the the boat that goes from one place to another yeah. as the fairy person of the dead taking over for, um, God, I've been playing a bunch of Hades. I'm still going to get this wrong car on. Um, so he, he's decided basically to peace out and retire and like you and your cat now have his job. And so you sail around in a boat and you pick up spirits and then you help them like move on to like the after afterlife. Uh, and so the, the game is kind of like two different, elements to it one is it's like this platformer kind of exploration game where you're just exploring so you can get resources so you can fulfill the requests of your spirits and then the other part of it is like talking to your spirits and getting to like you get to know them and like what their story is and then you help them like move on and it's just it's written so well and it becomes legitimately upsetting when they move on and that's saying something for an indie game because indie games as with your the podcast that is coined are most indie games are transcendent and vaguely about depression and so <laughs> it's incredibly easy to get jaded when people are talking about with indie games because you're like okay more of the same thing this game is vaguely about depression and it's going to be not very subtle about it <laughs> and in this game it does have a couple of characters who are like not written super strongly and you just kind of like every time you talk to them it's a little bit of an eye roll but that's the exception the rule is that like in just a little bit of dialogue here and there you like they're written so well that you can connect them to like people you actually know or experiences you've actually had and so then what the game does to you is at the very end you take them to like the place where it's time to move on and it's just you and them and you're in the boat and you're rowing and they're, I mean, Aubrey has already talked about this like in previous episodes, but you row them to the end and like they have their last reflections and then they go up and like poof away. And in like even me who generally tries to be jaded when anything tries to like prey on my emotions, like I couldn't, 
resist that. It was like, no, wait, I'm actually upset and would like to stop playing this game now because, <laughs> damn it, I'm mad <laughs> and upset because like, I like this character and this character is my favorite and now they're gone. But And we could do a whole spoiler cast on this and we should do a whole spoiler cast on this. We're, um, we're going to. But yeah, this, this clocks in strongly because... Like, not that games don't ever evoke emotions in me. Like, that's part of the experience. But like, but it's spirit- different from the like Dark Souls three anger, right? It's not. It's different. <laughs> it's not like anger or like, oh yes, I beat it or accomplishment. It's just like it brings out a raw sadness, and it's not even that like the game is trying to sucker punch you into like. It's not. Um, opening of the last of us when like joel's daughter gets shot where that's like okay that's what happens in the opening of the last of why? us why spoilers joe <laughs> just wait till we talk like, about what happens in the opening of last of us part two and then like the internet that like does. that's just like okay the game that's a low blow like y- right. you are a, okay like that's the kind of thing where I like get jaded and like just I'm like, okay, game, you want me to get upset? Fine, I'm not gonna be upset. Spirit Fair, it's like it it's just written so well and you're like, Oh, I'm actually having a good time. This is like a little bit like Animal Crossing in terms of like gotta take care of your neighbors and you're running around doing chores, but like I don't mind it because it's focused. Uh and oh wait a second, Hedgehog Lady made me sad. Uh <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go have a good lie down. Well, speaking someone of else who's had a hedgehog make him sad, Caleb. What's your next game? <laughs> you know, it's actually funny. He talked about like ah yes, this game made me feel a lot of emotions because my next game is Undertale. Now, before I get into discussing how much I love Undertale, I do need to throw out like when we were putting this list together, my parameters were kind of like because when putting together this list, you go okay, games of the generation. So I kind of want it to be emblematic. Not just games I liked that came out in the last few years, but like games that are kind of emblematic of this generation as well. So I mm-hmm. kind of put an informal rule on like no games that haven't had console releases because that doesn't uh, PCs are their entire own ecosystem, and so it's kind of weird to just be like, oh yeah, that that that's. So I didn't do Doki Doki Literature Club or Stanley Parable because even though Stanley Parable is going to get a console release, it hasn't yet. So it's just right now this weird little. PC game that I really, really love, but doesn't fit. But I was like, I do think indie games should qualify just because, you know, you play a lot of it. And if I if I had to pick any indie game, it was gonna be Undertale, which is just hands down one of the best. I have called it the most video game video game there ever has been. Someone then corrected me and said, I think that would be Tetris. And I'm like, okay, if you want to be like that pedantic about it, maybe. <laughs> but Undertale is a video game that can only really work as a video game. It is a game right. about gaming essentially it is a it's a game that has two central themes one of which is empathy and the other of which is like what are we doing here like whenever we sit down to play a video game what are we actually doing what kind of stories are we here for why are we doing this and it tells a really rich and really metatextually insane story like if you play through it on the pacifist route which is to me the best route you get the most emotional catharsis there's lots of good stuff to go on you get like this really, really great emotional story. If you poke into some of the other routes or just look up some of the stuff that's kind of hidden just off screen, there's a really rich, deep story about like, what are your responsibilities as a human being in what you consume as entertainment? Like what's, what are you doing here? And it's, it's wild, but yeah, Undertale is just a game. It's full of 
rich, engaging characters. It's got a great story. Uh, it's got a great, great soundtrack. Again, the game was made by a composer uh, who turns out to be also really good at the whole making video games thing. But be- right. because of the whole, he's primarily a composer first, the score is just wall-to-wall bangers. <laughs> it's just so good. To the extent, like, it just it just hit its fifth anniversary uh, a couple weeks ago, and they had an orchestra perform a bunch of the songs from the game, and it, they were, it was fantastic. But no, it's it hit me really, really hard. I own it on PC and Switch, and I sat down and played it on PC. I'm like, all right, let's see what you got. At the end, it was hard not to get emotional, but not in the I'm sad, but just like it really hit me at a place of like, I don't know, growing up and empathy and fighting for things you believe in and uh, taking care of other people and what what your responsibility is to other people and how to understand other people. It's just a really, really emotionally rich story. And the game's really fun and it's really funny. The characters are great and engaging with some weight and depth to them. Um, It's one of the only video games that has jokes that only work as video games i've talked before about my one of my favorite jokes is the you know you have a little sign that says warning dog marriage ahead and i read that and i was just sort of skipping through it because i'm like what's it say oh okay and then i left and i'm like wait what did that say and i read the sign again like you do in a video game when you scroll through a text box too fast and it brought up a new text box and all it says you read that correctly you (laughs) so it it has these really well-written characters and the gameplay it's a mixture between like a turn-based rpg a platformer and a bullet hell game like it's just like each battle you have to strategize what do you do especially if you're playing pacifist and it's one of the reasons i find it more interesting is because you have to try to it's like a puzzle you have to solve like what do i do so i can get through this fight without having to kill anyone and so you're trying to figure out what do, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to say? What do I need to do? Like, because you have more actions than just fight. And so it's like, what do I need to do here? Uh, and then when you make, when they attack, because it's, it's a video game, they're going to attack you. And it's it's trying to goad you into fighting. And you, it takes more effort to not fight. When they do attack, you have to dodge. You have this little bullet hell section where you have to dodge their attacks. And their attacks are all themed after whatever guys are you're fighting. And it, it's it, it's just, there's a lot here. And it's really dang good. And I am eagerly anticipating the follow-up. They released the first chapter of it, uh, Delta Rune, a couple of years ago. A was while just, ago, yeah. Yeah, and he just recently put an update up. It's like, here's where I am in production. Like, I am almost done with chapter two. I don't think he's going to release them episodically. I think it's like chapter two and three and four and five. How, I think there are five, maybe six chapters are all going to be released as like, that's Delta Rune altogether. But he's like, I'm almost done with chapter two, should be done by the end of the year. And we're at various stages in the other chapters. So there's like six more years to go is what you're saying. Yes. Essentially, after he made chapter one, he's like, look, here, he was very honest. Toby Fox is very honest up front. He's like, it's going to be a while because I can't do this all by myself. Uh, he, he he has an injured wrist, so he literally can't do it all by himself. Even composing, he has to do like, he can only compose for so many hours a day, like on the piano. And then he's got to, you know, send that out to other people to have them transcribe it and mix it and everything. So he was very upfront when the first chapter came out. He's like, this is going to be a while. It it should be with it. He's like, this is not going to be a thing that takes a decade. He's like, if it takes longer than, I don't know, six, seven years, then it's just not going to be good. He's like, I have this really earnest belief about like, there's a, there's a period between when you start working on something and when you stop where it becomes just too bloated and messy and you lose kind of why you were doing it in the first place. It's like, so we're going to finish it before then. He's like, but I need other people to do it with me. I can't do it by myself. And 
from the one chapter of Deltarune we have gotten, it is differently ambitious. It's, first of all, it, again, because Undertale is a pretty straightforward story and also an insane metatextual analysis of a lot of things. Deltarune looks like it's following the same thing of like, on the surface, it's just a straightforward, maybe not even a sequel sort of thing, because there mm-hmm. it might we're not sure how it connects to Undertale, because it doesn't necessarily seem to just be a sequel or a prequel. It seems to be its own thing, with some of the same characters playing different parts, but at the same time there's just this subtle implication. It's like things are weird here. So I'm I am really, really excited the game that it it's just one of those games. I got the collector's edition for Switch that came with like the little music box locket just because I'm like, I have to I have to get it. And I'm currently looking at the vinyl on fangamer.com. It's like $90 for the soundtrack on vinyl. I'm like, that's fair. I might just be dropping $90 on a set of vinyl in the next like six months. Nice. I keep hearing good things about that game and I'm going to play it eventually, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. You got to be in the right mood. But to help you out with that, it isn't terribly long. If you, I want to say, doing the pacifist run, which is fairly, sh- like, if that's the only run you do, it's not terribly long. It only took me, like, three days of concentrated playing. It's it's not an eternally length game. Well, speaking of a game you have to be in the mood for, I'm going to talk about my number three, which is Death Stranding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what <laughs> mood would you have to be in? Uh. Yeah. Have you ever heard of marijuana? <laughs> no. I went to college. Um, I think I'm, I've I've bumped into <laughs> bumped into it once or twice. Oh, okay. Uh, my number three is actually Breath of the Wild. Hey, that's so, my number one, actually. Well, there you go. So we're going to talk about Breath of the Wild now. Uh, fantastic game. Honestly, I mean, it it gets a lot of praise. It gets a lot of like it, it's talked about a lot in the industry and and. And by people who play video games, and I feel like most of that is deserved. Like, I feel like some games can be overhyped, but Breath of the Wild isn't one of them. Like, what it did is it it did kind of borrow some things from, like, that Ubisoft formula with the climbing towers to reveal the map and all that stuff. But the way it did it was just kind of so fresh and and kind of similar to how we talked about Fallen Order being better because it was wrapped in the Star Wars skin, like, this game was better because it's wrapped in the Zelda skin. There's no doubt about that. And But just the way they let you approach puzzles, the way that you interact with the world, the way you can climb everything, the way the systems interact with each other, and the way that just the fact that if you just take the Zelda series on its own, the fact that most Zelda games fall into like a typical style, and this one just kind of just shattered that mold but it still felt like a Zelda game through and through. It wasn't like it shattered the mold and felt like some sort of weird offshoot or spinoff or whatever. Like it still felt like I'm playing a Legend of Zelda game, but it feels so unique. Like just there's, I don't really know what else I can say about it. It just this, I feel like the story, the story that they told maybe was, is one of the weaker parts, but just the world and, how you experienced that story was really special and really cool. And like I going through that game, that was the game I got a switch for (laughs) going, going through that game. It was just like every little rock I overturned or every little thing I discovered or every character I found, it was just like, this is really cool. This is really fun. Oh, this does this or 
the fact that you can't have a metal sword on your back when it starts to storm and just like all these little things. It was all, it was a culmination of little things. That oh made yeah. This game I once so spent good. like 45 minutes just cooking. Like what's, how do, what do you do this? What if, what happens when you combine these things? What, what, what did mm-hmm. you do there? Um, it's, ah, it's so good. And even if the story is probably one of the weaker points, it makes up for it by all the characters are really endearing. There's only like a couple of weak links of like, Oh yeah, they were there, I guess. But like, Zelda is one of the best versions of Zelda they've ever done. Yeah. I loved yeah. Urbosa and her granddaughter are both fantastic characters. Prince Sidon is a treasure. You know, there I I love I was talking to someone recently, I'm like, I love the contrast between um Rivali, you know, from the past, the the whose whole thing is he wanted Link's job and he's like a little how dare you take my spot? Like I guess fine, I'll be one of the champions, but I really should be the main guy. Meanwhile, Prince Sidon should probably actually have Link's job. He's so competent at everything, and he's just, like, Link's biggest fan. He's like, you go, dude. You're awesome. You got this. It's, yeah, no, the characterization in that game is really, really strong, even if, like, the plot itself is not, it's not terribly complicated, and it's pretty, like, straightforward, and it's everything. But the way the characters bounce off each other, finding Zelda's diary when you finally get into the Hyrule Castle and finding Zelda's diary and like yeah. flipping through how she felt about everything and how even how she felt about Link. It was like, oh, this is I'm feeling things, which is not always the case in a Zelda game at this point. Like, yeah, that's something I wanted to mention was like probably my last thought on the game is that the story wasn't overly complicated, but I feel like they nailed the tone in a way like the melancholy tone of this game and the fact like what had happened and how like sad everything was. I felt like they nailed that better than any Zelda I've played where like Twilight Princess tried to be like melodramatic and Wind Waker has a kind of depressing story if you really dig into it. But like those games don't feel like that right this is playing them vaguely mournful like i but yeah like the whole game the way they did the piano like the simple piano soundtrack and all that kind of stuff like it all came together like that's what made this game not only was it a breath of fresh air for the series but everything they tried they seemed to nail for the most part to varying degrees but for the most part they pulled it all together in a, and had the impact they were going for i also want to throw out on the piano music first of all it's phenomenal through the whole game just the score is fantastic but also, like, as mournful as the piano is 89% of the time, I never thought a piano jingle could be scary. But you hear that jingle that means a guardian oh, yeah. is showing up. And you're like, oh, shoot, we're, I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, it's, dang, it's really good. Yeah, no, I, I've jokingly described it. You know, it's, it's number one on my list. It's my favorite game of the generation. It's my favorite game anyone has ever made. I have told people, I'm like, it's sort of like, it feels like the thing video games have been trying to be the entire time like they were all like a, there's a thing here there's an idea here if we could just crack it and breath of the wild is like do you mean this and everyone's like yep that's the thing that's what we were trying to do that's it it even has a little bit we talked about the systems it even has a little bit of that immersive sim flavor that we were talking about earlier with prey and arcane and by uh, the original deus ex it's got a little bit of that just uh, here's the systems here's how they work in the world you go have fun with that do whatever you like and see what see what happens and it's it's so good. Yeah. And just screwing yeah. around with the different weapons. I Just the fact that it's like you can have an axe or a spear. That's a weird first time in the Zelda games where it's just like, this is your sword. You attack with it. And now you're like, I want to use a spear right here because you can stab a guy from afar or you can throw it. And it's really handy. And it, yeah, no, it's a great game. Yeah. Fantastic. Dylan, what you got for number two? Uh, my number two, I feel like, is going to be at least on one other list because it's The Witcher 3, the greatest game that I've never finished. Uh, never heard of it. 
What's funny so. is um, it probably would be on my list. Maybe not the top five, but it would definitely be on my list if I had played more than about nine hours of it. Yeah, and, and on behalf of Caleb and myself, I apologize to all of the people who were really hoping for a bigger story in Cyberpunk 2077 because uh, CD Projekt Red announced that they are making it a shorter experience because people like Caleb and I haven't finished The Witcher 3. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting because I think that that game is going more for replays because you there's three different specific starting classes. There's like the starting paths, I mean, like that you can just straight up changes the beginning of the game, plus all the different systems. I feel like that's a game where they want you to replay it. So as much as they say, yeah, the Caleb's and Dylan's of the world didn't finish the game. Also, they want you to play it multiple times. So don't beat yourself up too much is what I'm saying. Yeah. But but yeah, but I, beat yourself up for not finishing The Witcher. I know. I I really love the game. I love the world. I love exploring and doing everything. Like they really nail. Like I, I played through The Witcher two, and I really love that. I've played parts of the first Witcher game, but I have never finished it because the first Witcher game is rough. Uh, <laughs> but The Witcher three, I think, really kind of perfects that whole like you are a monster hunter and that is kind of the background of this entire thing. And we're going to put you in this world where monsters are real and kind of just go and do it. And like, there's an overarching story of like, you're trying to track down Siri, but like you don't have to, like you can do all of this other stuff and we're going to make you want to do all of this other stuff because even the random side quests that you would get have are, are like, fully voice acted fully written like have a story that keeps you engaged even if it's just like a random side quest Play, and they so, flesh out the world really well too like those side quests like you learn the main game will imply that like oh yeah there's all these political upheaval and this is changing the culture of the world and you're like oh, okay but you do a couple of side quests you're like oh shoot they're right it's look it's what's going on here it's mm-hmm. fascinating yeah because basically this is like Andrew has said, like, this is the game I bought a PS4 for and a Switch for. This is the game I bought a, an Xbox One for because I watched the trailer where they basically show what you're going to do in the game. Like, I think Geralt is hunting a vampire or something like that. And so, like, they show him preparing and they show him, like, tracking down the the vampire and using, like, a silver bomb, silver dust bomb or whatever to, like be able to see where it is because it's invisible and and all of that kind of stuff and i watched that trailer and i think like later that day i was like all right i'm gonna order my xbox one i'm gonna (laughs) pre-order witcher 3 and here we go yeah Um, um, it's funny you say that because like one of one of my favorite things in in movies is just this thing people jokingly call competency porn where it's just like here's a person who is really good at their job and here's them doing the job and it's oddly satisfying to watch um uh david fincher's films usually have like some of that or the very underrated film ronin starring robert de niro go everyone go watch that but it uh, what amuses me to no end is how much Geralt feels like just a handyman who's really good he's like all right it's not so much that he can take on a griffin or a vampire or whatever it's that he knows what he has to do he's like all right you gotta go get this and you gotta prepare this and you gotta make sure this is ready and you're good and i just love how all this stuff is going on and Geralt is just the contractor someone hired in the background who's like just so sick of everyone's bullcrap and just let me do my job and that's about it. Just I I love Geralt so much. 
It's it's a weird juxtaposition watching him bounce between like find Siri and decide the fate of the Nordling kingdoms, and then also uh, I, there's a werewolf that needs to be killed. I'm gonna go do that. <laughs> and then like that that's the version of Geralt we like best is that like I just gonna go kill a monster. Yeah, because that's that's the one thing he's like. This is not hard. Like this is. I mean, it might be hard, but it's not complex, and it's not. I can do this. This I can do. It's like because with Siri, it's like ah, I'm kind of raising a child, but not really. How do I be a father figure? What's that like? But with like, and then you have all the politics stuff. He's like, I hate all of this. But with it's like, can you kill a werewolf? He's like, that I can do. That I can do in my sleep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And. and- to me too like just like all the other games on my list it's basically like here is this big wide open world like here is all the stuff that you can do you can go about it all these different ways go explore go find out about everything have have fun and like that is the game that i enjoy and so it was basically that on steroids so (laughs) yeah and i'll i'll throw out there this yeah this is my number one game so Love this game. Fantastic. I've talked about it on this podcast enough. You all know how I feel about it. I lo- everything that everybody has said here, I agree with it. There's so many reasons. I, And not only, you know, just is it a fantastic game, but it just came at a like very specific point in my life where just like I needed this game. I lived in this game. It was my go-to thing. So like there's just so many reasons why this is my number one game of this generation, but I'm not going to like beat the point i feel like we've all kind of covered why it's special so let me throw it to you joe what's your number two number two is subnautica speaking of games that like made me feel things but this is mostly mostly positive uh with just a dash of fear uh (laughs) my favorite there's some some spooky moments in that game but uh subnautica is sort of a survival exploration game but it has a a story to it which most survival exploration games don't you are in a like a a big uh i guess call it a starliner and then it crashes onto this planet this planet seems to be almost entirely ocean or at least the bit where you are it's it's all ocean except for a couple of islands and you just drop in a pod and then you've got almost nothing and then you've got to like build from there and explore and survive. And this is this, I really struggled. This might be, should, should be my number one instead. Cause this really is like one of the most like memorable gaming experiences I had in the last generation. It, it does the, the tone really well. It does the exploration really well. I love the underwater theme i know that like some people get spooked by open water Uh, and don't get me wrong in real life i've been snorkeling and i have been super spooked like you're snorkeling and you go over the top of something where you can't see the bottom uh and you're just you get that like something's gonna come out of there and eat me uh but in a game like you can explore like those same emotions without the like you know fear of anything permanent actually happening to you Uh, (laughs) you don't die just your character dies yeah and so this was i mean it's a good like 20 to 30 hour experience and you know there are some like truly spooky things in there and i i think this is just like you know tom dislikes it when games 
spook him. I have a weird like train wreck fascination where like I don't like it, but I can't help it. And there's there's later on in the game you can get like a an actual full sized submarine and you go exploring, and you'll be off somewhere and then like some creature from the abyss comes up and starts poking around your sub and uh then you know you kill the engines you kill the lights and you're just sitting there like in the dark in the quiet as this thing's circling your sub and you're just waiting for it to move on um sounds like fun and oh it is a ton of fun like i <laughs> like great rush of adrenaline uh and then as you're going through all this like it's, so you're on an alien planet, so things are different. And then also you're underwater. And like if you look at our own oceans, like our own oceans are almost an alien planet in terms of like how weird and different they are. And like the game really taps into that. Like every biome is super unique. And like you always just you want to keep seeing what's around that next corner, what's around that next corner, what else can I find? Highly recommend it. If you get into it, go in blind. Don't use a wiki when you play it unless you're really, really super stuck. And then only use it for like what you need. I think this is a game that like the less you expect from it, the mm-hmm. I think the better time you're gonna have as you go through this. Yep. You know, it's also you hit the nail on the head. Our our own uh, ocean is like an alien planet because I do not like large bodies of water for that reason. It's just like when people are like, you don't I, like. I don't like going on the ocean and so people are like is it because you don't you can't swim and you'll drown i'm like no no no. even if you like stuck me with unlimited air and everything i go down i don't know what's down there and it wigs me out more than a little bit it's so it's a it's yeah, a good like, setting I, i've been face to face with a tuna that is like bigger than me and like i have absolutely nothing to fear from a tuna i don't think i have no i don't think they're aggressive but they're there's huge, something though. about being in the water and like humans that's not our native element like you're at a disadvantage in the water and you're staring at something bigger than you and it's not to mention they don't it's very off-putting they don't work on the same like a jellyfish it's just sort of like what how do you function and it's just like this weird glowing lava lamp that's alive and also can hurt you (laughs) it's just who why and like like things are fast in the water we are not fast in the water but again and then you put it in a game and there's this like 20 foot long thing and i'm just kind of swimming around it like oh how close can i get to you without risking anything and so it's that like you know i got that's that sort of like let me experience some of those same feelings but then also in the back of my brain like this isn't real and so like i can sort of sit in this in-between place of like terrified and enjoying myself uh i'm, I'm sure i'm selling this game super well <laughs> uh, to your spooktober but, list <laughs> but it's Can't a great time up. yeah no uh caleb what you got for your number two my number two this is look basically this is the last one i'll talk about for a while because i already did gush about breath of the wild for quite a while uh uncharted 4 this is i just ah there was a brief moment towards the end of uncharted 4 where i'm like is this my new favorite video game of all time and no no like it's like a kind of cooled my head a little bit i'm like no it is really dang good though top five for sure i love naughty dog so much i know i'm kind of at this point the joke is that i hate the last of us part two and i don't i think it's good i just think it you know it's flawed but it's because i'm like their highs are astronomical and the uncharted series i don't think there is a video game series 
running right now that is more pitched down the middle towards me. It's like Caleb likes snarky, well-written adventure kind of things that are kind of quippy and uh, action-packed, remind him vaguely of Indiana Jones. It's like, oh yes, the Uncharted series. It's all of those things. And the games themselves were progressively got better until you hit the heights of Uncharted 4. And it's just like, I didn't actually know the series could be this good. Like as much as a, two and three are masterpieces in their own right. And it's like, okay, yeah, here's kind of the ceiling for what these games can be. They're solid, but like, okay, that's, that's what they are. And they're really fun. Everything in four is like, what if we were all that? And also really kind of emotionally resonant too. If like, I don't, okay. All right. Sure. Also, I love pirates and Uncharted 4 is like, full on into the pirate stuff it's always kind of been there because it's you know he's a successor to sir francis drake who was one of the original pirates but now it's like no no no, we're going after the lost pirate treasure of henry avery and i'm like oh you guys are like okay all right i'm on board with this uh but it's a great game naughty dog has gotten criticism for i think many of the reasons like it's weird they're the opposite reasons but it's the same basic reasons as rockstar has where it's like you only make one kind of game and it's always this kind of formula where it's always a cinematic experience. It's usually a third person action game, heavy focus on the story and the character and writing almost on equal level with the gameplay. It's not like the gameplay's first story is second. It's like they are the same thing as far as Naughty Dog's concerned. You're playing this to see the story that they've written. This is not a story you get to kind of change and choose how it goes. It's like you're here to see the story and you're here to play the game at this for the same time, same reasons. They're in, intertwined as far as Naughty Dog is concerned. Though I also gave them a lot of credit because they were one of the first people to be like, you can pause during cutscenes. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Like in the PS3 yeah. era, that was huge. It's like, yeah, you can pause and go to the bathroom, get snacks or whatever during the cutscenes. I'm like, this is all anyone playing Metal Gear Solid 4 wanted ever. So just thank you for this. <laughs> um but no, Uncharted 4, it's got great characters. It's got the... I still think it's the best story Naughty Dog's ever done. It really takes Drake to both an unlikable place and also a relatable place. It's it's interesting how unlikable they let him get before they're like, okay, but really, he needs to grow up. It's, it's just really dang good. The gameplay is the best it's ever been. The music's really phenomenal. It, it was one of the first... You talk about Red Dead 2... And it it is an impressive, like, Red Dead 2 is impressive visually, like, holy crap. Uh, Uncharted 4 was, like, the first step towards that in my book. Like, it was the first, because it, it was, like, a year, I think it was, like, two years before that. Um, and it was just, like, holy crap, this is what a next-gen game can look like. This is what, this is where we can go. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just phenomenal. And it's fun. It's bantery. Uh, the score by uh, Henry Jackman did the score for that one. And it is one I'm like intending to buy on vinyl at some point because it'll just play this fantastic music. I almost put it in our video game songs thing. I, I changed it out because I realized no one picked Zelda and I didn't pick Zelda because I assumed someone would pick Zelda. But the one I had to drop to fit Zelda in there was some of the score from Uncharted 4. And just the fact that you can like have this fantastic music playing and using the new grappling hook system, throw a grappling hook onto a thing and swing and then still shoot the gun while you're swinging through the air. <laughs> it's just like the coolest dang thing in the world. It's fantastic. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it is actually, we keep talking about, this is the console. I bought this. This is the game. I, not only is this when I find I'm like, okay, now I have to upgrade to a PlayStation four because there's an uncharted out for it. I have the uncharted four edition PlayStation four. I have a blue uncharted uh, PlayStation four with Nathan Drake's image on it. And on the front, it reads sick parvis magna. Oh, 
which is, you know, greatness from small beginnings, which is Drake's uh, motto. Yeah, we all knew that. I, <laughs> it's your basic Obviously, history. I definitely knew that. I mean, just like uh, everyone knows about Sir Francis Drake, the uh, ship, the Golden Hind, and how he was sent by Elizabeth and all the court intrigue there and all that stuff, which the Golden Hind was actually another ship that he rechristened, but maybe he didn't until afterwards when it was politically um, expedient for him to do so because he did commit mutiny and kill the previous captain because he wouldn't like listen to Francis Drake, who was supposed to be in charge. Oh, wait, is that where the Drake of Nathan Drake comes from? Yes. Uh, you guys talk like your Venn diagram's not that deep, but I... <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about Bloodborne because that's my number two. Go for it. The Kirby spinoff. Yeah, Blood <laughs> Bloodborne is the best Souls game that only I have played. I've played it. I just... Well, yes, you and Joe both played it for a little while. But no, Bloodborne, fantastic game. It got me into the soul genre. Um, again, it's one of those games that I've talked about a bunch on this podcast. It the tone is amazing. The vibe they're going for is great. The 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 balance between punishing and satisfying, I feel like, is really good. It did take me a few like attempts to actually like get into it to the point where I was like, okay. I'm not like I I can beat this game now. Like there were a few times I tried to play it where I tried to get down that first alley and just got demolished and was like, this game is dumb. (laughs) Why would people, why would anybody like these games? But then, yeah, I kept playing it and, and it hooked me and it's, it's great. I'm still playing it. Uh, I, I don't, when did I start? Well, I mean, I've started playing it a while ago, but like when I first was like super into it and actually like got all the way through, it was early this year, I think. Mm-hmm, and I'm still, that's how I played like, it is like, you let me borrow it. Cause you're like, I had right. made no progress in this. And I play it for a little bit. I'm like, this is really good. I suck at it, but it's really good. And you through completely unrelated things have been like, I kind of got the itch to start this again. Can I, can I have that back? I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to get any farther than this level. So go for it. Right. Yeah, so then I I beat it and have been playing now it ever I'm, since. Yeah, I'm still playing it. Like I've rolled a new character, I'm still doing stuff in it, I'm still into it. I throw it in every now and then. I'm playing like I've I've also dabbled in Dark Souls, the first like the original, the remaster. I'm playing through Mortal Shell, like I'm into the genre now, checking out some other games, but definitely definitely love it and I really hope that um Demon Souls kind of captures that, like that next gen version of this. I really like. There have been rumors of a Bloodborne remastered. I don't really necessarily want like a remaster, but just if they like this game never got a PS4 Pro patch or anything. Like it's st- it's just the game that came out, and so like if they just maybe like just give it a little TLC and re-release it, like I think that would be really cool. But that aside, like it's still like it's it's a game that I'm considering incorporating into a tattoo somehow, and like those are the that's like the highest praise a game can get, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I would love for Microsoft to buy from software. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would very much like to play it without having to buy a PlayStation to yeah. do so. Yeah, I might exactly. if, if I end up buying a playstation at some point in the future it'll be to hit multiple exclusives but most notably it'll be bloodborne and god of war and especially bloodborne because it's like hey you like dark souls hey you want a dark souls but with a vibe that's really cool 
Do you want Dark Souls but Lovecraft theme, Victorian Lovecraft theme? Like, yes, actually, explicitly that. Yeah, I would very much like that. I've had a blast playing these games. Oh, but I don't own that thing. I am kind of surprised at this point that it hasn't come out on PC yet. Like, and hasn't even been talked about coming out it, on I PC. Mean, there, there have been rumors. Been rumors. Yeah, along Every with the remaster rumors. And it, nothing's ever come I think the Demon Souls remaster being exclusive, I think, is a sign that I don't know if we're going to see anything. Yeah, but the Demon Souls remaster, that, like, it came out and it said, like, that it was going to come to PC and then sony like retracted that yeah like that's who knows if like which means that probably it'll come to pc eventually but they didn't want that to be known yet and someone screwed up yeah either someone put in the wrong slide or they showed their hand early or something who and this the rumor mill this may this may fit better in our eventual future like more hot takes but like demon souls is going to come out and people are not going to like it Demon Souls is ridiculously hard. Like it, all it takes all of the bad tweak. parts of all of the Souls games and puts them all in the same game. Demon Souls was a prototype, basically. <laughs> like it was. Yes. Let's try this thing, and it's like, well, because I remember when Demon Souls came out and was like a big talk about, well, this is doing something really weird. But there's a reason that they made Dark Souls and not Demon Souls Two. Like, no, the reception was kind of mixed at the time. I, I know we're jumping on this weird trip, but it is it does fascinate me for two reasons. One, because Sony was offered the chance to buy the Dark Souls series outright before it went multi-platform. They were, there was, I can't remember when this leaked. It was a few years ago, but it was like, yeah, FromSoft went up to Sony as like, we're doing this revamp of our Demon Souls idea. We, Demon Souls was an exclusive to you guys. Do you want this Dark Souls thing? And because the reception to Demon Souls was so mixed, they're like, "No, you can go multi-platform with it. It's fine. We're do what you want." Uh, and uh, a decision I'm sure Sony is like banging their head against the wall forever. Because yeah, the of- rest is history. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. um, like if you like Dark Souls, you will like Demon Souls. But if like you've just heard that Demon Souls is this like if you've heard it pumped up by the Dark Souls community, Demon Souls is not the place you should start. So. yeah i'm cu- I'm curious to see what blue point like tweaked and changed and if they made it like if they just improved quality of life stuff maybe not like how difficult the game is but yeah let's move on to your number one dylan this should come as no surprise to anyone who's watching this but my number one game of this console generation is monster hunter world and monster hunter world iceborne um, what yeah I, so I know shocking. that that must be shocking our like art for our podcast is me as monster hunter man so like yes this is my favorite game of this generation sticking with the theme of like here's this big world for you to explore and discover that is like a main thing that i like about this game it boils down everything that i liked into like it takes sort of the like learn these boss mechanics and this boss fight because basically the entire game is a boss fight against these giant monsters it takes that aspect of games like dark souls that i love and it puts it into this really cool like it's a dinosaur it's a t-rex that breathes fire sort of deal which is just really cool and i i just really like the aesthetic of it i like messing around and seeing what you can do with all the different weapons i loved like as i was going through the game initially 
just like as the first like monster hunter game that i had ever played i loved just going in and being like oh what's this new monster oh that's really cool let me learn about it and try to figure out how i'm supposed to fight and and defeat it Um, and then once i eventually do beat it you know what what is the armor what is the the weapons that i can make with it look like and and just kind of repeating that process 70 something times or whatever it is and to to that extent too like the game is still coming like today or yesterday they launched like fatalis which is a new like completely new monster i guess it's coming back from older games or whatever but like they're still releasing content i think this is kind of like the last big content thing for monster hunter world but like they're still releasing things they still do like events every you know so often to like let you do cool little event quests and with like assassin's creed or the witcher or, you know dante or uh, not dante uh, devil may cry all that kind of stuff so but yeah it's a really good game it's not it's definitely not for everybody i don't even think it was on anyone else's list it, it's it's a game i feel bad for not putting more time into but it's also something that's i recognize it as like this game will consume me so <laughs> like it there's a lot there that appeals the like My okay you, there's a clear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could have finished the witcher there's a, a a clear sense of progression you know like the monsters are all interesting to fight and there's like an expression of skill when it comes to fighting the monsters and like you can get really in depth on the buffs and your specific armor build and all of that and that was the like I was like, I played like a decent chunk of it, and then I was like, I could get really into the kind of like I felt the same way about on like Destiny Two, wherein that's like I could get super far into this, and I don't know if I need another game that does that at this point because yeah, it's like me- if I go down this path, then like I'm just straight up not going to end up ever playing anything else. Yeah, when, this, whenever this I played Monster Hunter game, like that's it was all like. I played. <laughs> It was like when you guys were on, I really enjoyed the experience and like we had fun and I like, but diving into the systems, collecting all the gear, like all that kind of stuff did wasn't what was drawing me in. So anytime I like got on by myself, I was kind of like, meh, I'm going to go hop on something else real quick or whatever. But like, I enjoyed what I played socially, but I didn't, it wasn't the draw from like the game itself, I guess, wasn't my draw, but I really did appreciate what it was and what it was doing and i enjoyed it when i played it with like other people yep if i if i could play it with you guys i probably would enjoy large chunks of it um the i i will say monster hunter is a series that appeals to me i am actually very excited for the movie we're s- supposed to get yes at some point it's gonna be hot garbage but it's going I mean, to be so good kind of hot garbage because i think that's a better yes. i think that's a series that's a much better fit for him than resident evil was like it's like what if we took this atmospheric moody spooky game he's like and then my wife, who I love so much, is going to do, like, backflips and through laser hallways and, like, double guns. I'm like, that's a weird choice. But she's like, it's Monster Hunter. He's like, and then my wife, who I love very much, will have a giant sword and kill things. I'm like, actually, that's it. That's the game. That's the whole thing. Also, have I... Story doesn't matter. I, have I mentioned that, like, she did some interviews and it revealed, like, she's basically just playing... She gave notes on what weapons and armor she wanted and it, she revealed, she's like... I just, that was the character I played in the game. And so I'm like, just make me my character in the game. And I'm like, that's fantastic. She's living the dream. She's just like, my guy, I'm playing as my (laughs) But 
It is a game I find really compelling, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago when they had the Monster Hunter Direct and talked about the two upcoming Monster Hunter games for next year. I'm like, both of those look like I could give them a shot. So I may have missed the boat on World, but I'm whatever's next, I might be like, let's try that. Yeah, well, and I'll be, I, I will for sure be getting Monster Hunter Rise on Switch, so if you need somebody to quest with, I will be there, so... I'm hoping the Switch version is maybe just a little less like involved. Um, That's that was not always... the impression I got. From I was going to say. So you're, <laughs> that, you're hoping... like that was kind of like like both the like oh I could really get sucked into this game, but then also playing Monster Hunter World, and you're looking at like the food buffs and all the consumables, and like there was like oh there's a lot here, and then like once you beat the main story, you're you realize. I need to learn and understand all of this if I want to continue. And then when I do learn and understand it, I will play nothing but this game and then not be able to keep up with conversations on anything else. And I already have that problem (laughs) with World of Warcraft. I don't need a second problem. Joe, have you ever heard of Dauntless? Uh, Vaguely. Because it's essentially like simple Monster Hunter and you can play it across your platforms. Yeah, that's Dauntless I mean, is pretty good. I do, I do like Dauntless. I prefer Monster Hunter over it, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's um, it's poor man's yeah. Monster Hunter. Well, and, and like the the funny thing too, Joe is like Monster Hunter World is the like condensed, easy version of Monster <laughs> Hunter. <laughs> How? Like, it, like you make your full <laughs> console release the like easy version your handhelds are the complicated ones yeah because even if like you play and it's their most successful yeah if you play like generations ultimate on the switch or something like that the systems are so much more convoluted on that than they (laughs) and it it, like monster hunter world i thought did a very good job of like slowly introducing new things to the point where like i'm 300 hours into the game and i'm still like i'll get a new tutorial every now and then of like hey here's a new thing you can do generations ultimate was just like it's all here from the from the beginning like figure it out i guess or if not like screw you (laughs) so it does feel and like this will be my only hindrance like if i if i do get the next monster hunter game and like oh yeah no this is good that's my only thing is it's like when you play D anD D, do you like the crunch part? I'm like, no, actually, it's like, oh, oh no, hang on, you may have you may have miscalculated here. Yeah, I am. I am hopeful that they've learned from World that it is more successful at, to a wider audience if they make some of the stuff simpler. But I'm also not convinced that they learned that lesson because it's primarily like a an Asian market game. And a lot of times they don't care about that same sort of stuff like we would care over here. And and so it's like I, I do think it Monster Hunter World was their most successful one ever. But I don't know if like what their primary target audience is, if it's everybody or if they're focusing on like the Asia, like the Japanese market first and then who are like have been playing this since like early PS2 era. It's sort of like when and so they they know all the systems and so like us figuring it out is just like tough yeah, it's sort of like <laughs> uh, playing catch when up. fire emblem made its way over to the states and the first couple fire Emblem games they released over here were the same dang games they've been playing in japan since nes and so it's like here's all these complicated systems and american users i don't get it and then for fire emblem awakening they're like this isn't going anywhere we're probably not going to make any more of these after this but here like we simplified it a little bit. It's now kind of like a visual novel with a strategy game in it too. And it's a little bit more persona like, and everyone's like, Oh, 
Oh, it's simpler. I get this now. We 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 can do this. Uh, America. Yeah, we uh we 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 like things to be on the bottom shelf. Joe, what's your number one game? <laughs> <laughs> My number one game is Hollow Knight. Yeah. Um, well, maybe number two. We talked about Subnautica could be number one, but uh, anyways, Hollow Knight is a game I'm a big fan of. I will buy Silk Song day and date. It is essentially Dark Souls, but it's like cute little bugs instead of eldritch horrors. Um, depending which, depending on, like, on which... your view, like maybe are the same thing. <laughs> so. But I mean, even then, like generally, except for maybe a couple of bosses, there, there's down in the in the cre- like extra creepy crawly zone. I think like, there's one boss I'm thinking of. But like at least most of the game it's you know it's this nice hand-drawn animation style it's gorgeous and it's such a pretty game it's dark souls mixed with metroidvania and the art is great the music is great the gameplay is great the story is great there's multiple endings there's like here's the regular ending here's the true ending the true ending is extremely difficult and <laughs> so you know it's there for those who want it but we're also like if you just want to finish the game you can it's got a good upgrade system. I think it balances difficulty and accessibility fairly well. Uh, like if you're having a hard time, there's a couple of builds you can easily switch to that like allow for some nice cheese. Unlike other Souls and like games, this is like, hey, here's all of these options, and you can just switch between them whenever you feel like it. You're never permanently locked in. There's constantly stuff to explore. Like I almost beat the game and i still had to go and look up how to get into some of the hidden areas because they're that well hidden like i go i still boot it up every now and then not necessarily wanting to beat it but just for an hour or two just to like be in that world and have that like experience of exploration and you know backtracking into areas and then like each time of being a little more efficient you know those bosses that i used to wipe on for Attempt after attempt after attempt, I can get in like one or two, and it's very rare for me to like go back to a game I already beat. Like I've, I'm not someone who likes to go back and reread or rewatch or replay unless it's been so long I've completely forgotten. If I know what's going to happen, I generally am just like I, I'm bored at this point. Um, <laughs> and Hollow Knight's one that's like I don't really have that so much. It's so good that like I like to just go back to it. Do you know how good Hollow Knight um, is? Is that it almost made my honorable mentions list, and I the only reason it didn't, the only reason that the the, the ones that are on there are on there not Hollow Knight, is because I technically haven't played Hollow Knight. I just watched Alex play all of it. I'm like, this is the <laughs> best dang game. Holy crap! And then I'm like, oh yeah, this needs. To- oh wait, I didn't actually play it. That was the thing. Oh, it's so yeah. It, it's a game where it's really hard to like point out any significant flaws in it. Other than it does have a permanent death system, not permanent death, but permanent wipe. It does that thing where you have to go back and get to your body, and if you don't, you lose all your money. That sucked a little bit. Um, It's so much easier in this game, though, to farm stuff than it is in Dark Souls. Yeah, and there's a couple of DLC bosses that are almost unfairly difficult, but also, it's like it's DLC bosses. It's there for the fans who have like beaten the game a bunch of times right. already. So, I, I understand, and it it does do the accessibility fairly well. Where 
you can still play through the game just fine if you're not too confident. But then if you really want to just ratchet up the difficulty to like beyond Dark Souls hard, there's ways for you to do that. Nice. Well, Caleb, you've talked about your number one, right? Yep. Breath of the Wild. I've talked about I've talked about my number one, which is The Witcher. So why don't you just shout out your back five real quick, Caleb? All right. So uh, my we'll go six to ten this this way, just because I don't know it's different. Yeah. Titanfall two, which even as great as Doom is, and Doom is phenomenal. Titanfall two gets my vote for my favorite FPS ca- campaign of the um, past generation. It's an absolute blast. The levels are really clever. Uh, the the oh effect and cause just on its own is like one of the best levels in any game ever. Yeah. Actually, not even just of this generation, but just like oh shoot, this is really clever. And ever like that's the high point. But almost every level was great. Number seven is Tales from the Borderlands. It is to me the apex of so <laughs> Telltale's games. It's a lot of fun. It's really well written. It's funny. But then it's also dramatic, compelling, and it, it tells a really solid story. Like, it's it's just very good. Uh, number eight is Hitman. I am a recent convert to this series, and I'm already super excited for three. I haven't actually finished two. I need to, because it's really great, too. But the entire new Hitman series is just, like, mechanically... Uh, I just love it so much. It's basically a... It does the immersive sim genre so well, and... Like the replayability factor, and it just—I—I I feel bad for not playing more of it because there's like nothing about it I really dislike. I mean, the, um, you guys cannot ever mention any comment about like not overlapping much ever again. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, I feel like you—you you two overlap more than you think. <laughs> but it is also funny because I feel the same because I—it is a game made to be replayed over and over again. Like, oh, let me try to do this, and I'm like still scratching my brain on that one level in Hitman One, like. Yeah, but how do I kill him with the moose? I can see part of the... I can see part of... Like, if I get him there, I can kill him with the moose, but I don't know how to do it yet. But no, it, it, it is a game where it's like, I play through it to get through it, to experience it, to figure... You know, to see all the different areas. But I'm like, this is a game that if I had the time and the inclination and the lack of other things pressing down on me, I could just play certain levels from Hitman over and over again for, like, weeks. Number nine is Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I mean, we're still getting... We're still getting new stuff for it, uh, as we mentioned, but it is just the biggest celebration of Nintendo specifically, but video games in general. Uh, the the team there just loves the characters they're using. Uh, it kind of has set an impossibly high standard for any other crossover thing ever, because in no other in no other thing are you right. going to get all these different franchises colliding and treated with as much love and respect. Uh, there was a joke after Smash Brothers four when Mega Man was put in and how much love and respect they had for Mega Man, who's not their character. Everyone's like Capcom hasn't treated Mega Man this well in like a decade. Can Nintendo have Mega Man? Um, right. And it's that or Sakurai specifically. Yeah, and it's that way with, it's that way with every character that comes in. They, they love him to de- I mean, Terry of all people, uh, people are like, who's Terry from this, you know, somewhat obscure fighting game series. And it's clear that like the people who worked on that game are huge, huge fans. Smash Brothers has always been one of my favorite franchises, uh, and Ultimate is probably the apex of the entire series, to the point where, like, I'm not going to be surprised if next console generation, they kind of go in a different direction, because the Smash Brothers we've known so far, this is, there's there's no way to make it bigger. This is, in fact, the Ultimate version of it, so I had to, I had to shout it out. And last, but certainly not least, uh, I used to joke when the video, the discussion of our video games art would come up, and I'm like, 
Yes, they are. And I'm like, well, maybe not Tetris. Tetris effect is, in fact, a work of art. It's like, what if Tetris took place in an art installation, like a high society yep. art installation? It's really good. Like, it's it. we talked about indie games being vaguely transcendent, like transcendent and vaguely about depression. This one's transcendent. It's not really a... I, I think it might be about something. It's more like an actual art installation where I'm like, that, I feel like I'm feeling things. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to take from it. There was like noises and humming electrical music. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but it is, it, it's really good. And it's something I can kind of throw in at any time and just, I don't know, vibe to it. It's, it's a, it's a, good it's game. really, it's a really good game. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Let me go ahead and run down my back five. So I'll go the same. <laughs> Same ranking as Caleb, I'll go six to ten. So number six, I had Rock Band four because Rock Rock Band, yeah. I mean, Rock Band three was probably my biggest rock band. I grew up on Guitar Hero, love those games. Rock Band four has been like the the party game, the staple. It's been really it, anytime, well, not anytime, but lots of times if people are at the house, it's like let's play Rock Band. You guys have and, heard me embarrass and, myself singing My Chemical Romance uh, more times. <laughs> There's, it's well, well worth it. Like I've before in the before times, we had this plan that we were going to get like a bunch of Eric's college buddies up into Huntsville, and we were going to have like a one last birthday party for Eric kind of thing before everybody scattered. Um, Eric's and, your brother, right? Yeah, I, I could preface <laughs> that. But I very nearly bought Rock Band just for that one-off thing because it would have been worth it. But then you know, COVID. So yeah, Rock Band. It's it's just a really good time. It's really fun. Even if even if there's just a big group of people hanging out, it's like there's people on the instruments, but then everybody else is kind of like chiming in, hanging out, singing along. So it's it's really fun. And with the DLC, um, you've always got something like music-wise for everything. You've got oh yeah, you can you can add to your library like nonstop. Uh, then my number, my next one is Assassin's Creed Origins, which I thought was just incredible. The way that it reinvented the Assassin's Creed games and the fact that it was set in Egypt, climbing the pyramids, the character was really strong. Uh, I did have Odyssey in my like my master list that I was pulling from, but Origins just, I prefer it. It's a little bit more, I feel like it was just a little bit more like they knew what they were going for and they executed it better. Uh, but I do really like Odyssey. After that, I had God of War. Same um, as Caleb. I kind of gave my thoughts on that one earlier. Uh, then I have another Assassin's Creed, which is Black Flag, which I mentioned earlier. And that's the only one of the few games that I've 100% like played all the way through. Love that game. Fantastic. It's a, And it's an amazing pirate game. But it's also a really good Assassin's Creed game. So I, for me, as a fan of both of those things, it just it was an amazing experience and it was one of the like first games on the current generation so it was like i didn't really have much else to play at that time so i just dove head first into that one and then the last game on my list number 10 is a plague tale innocence the game that all all people should at least try and play and it's fantastic it takes a lot of inspiration from the last of us actually like a kind of stealth action game where um you play a slightly stronger character, not necessarily like a Joel, but slightly stronger, trying to kind of guide and protect like a weaker character through this crazy world. Uh, but the story is really cool. The like the 
somewhat like medieval setting and all that. It was, it was really cool. Spoke to me. So I, I really enjoyed that game. And I think it's, it's kind of an underrated gem of this generation. So I wanted to shout it out. Uh, Dylan, what about you? What's your back five? Uh, number six for me is Assassin's Creed Origins. There was a very long time between Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Black Flag where I just didn't play any of the Assassin's Creed games. And then even after Black Flag, I really didn't play like any of the like Unity or whatever Syndicate. the British one was. Yeah. Had a s- um, fantastic score. That's, that's the only reason I can remember it. Yeah. And really, I played Assassin's Creed 4 mostly for the pirate theme. Like, I still wasn't super bought into like that gameplay style sorry andrew (laughs) but origins like is like it brought me back into the assassin's creed realm i really enjoyed origins really enjoyed the story and the systems and just kind of how they revamped what to me had felt like a kind of old like stale sort of format for their for their games right so I really like that. And eventually I will play Odyssey. I may end up liking that better, but I'll probably play it after I play Valhalla. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Dragon Age Inquisition is a fantastic RPG by Bioware. It was probably their last good RPG um, <laughs> for hopefully, hopefully that's not true, but I'm worried that it will be. Um, it's their last so far. We'll see yeah. what the next one. Yeah, it's... Often overshadowed, I feel like, by The Witcher 3, um, but it's a fantastic game if you get a chance to play it. Dark Souls 3, love the Dark Souls series. Dark Souls 3 is fantastic, and it's on this generation. Destiny 2 is a great game. Like Joe said, it would be very easy for me to like get super, super into Destiny. Destiny 2 probably has my favorite like combat on like even with Halo 4 and 5. Like I think I prefer Destiny 2's like gunplay better and multiplayer better and then titanfall 2 is a fantastic game just in general you should go pick it up if you have not played it especially just for that one level caleb mentioned joe back half of your list all right running it down we got dark souls 3 we've talked about dark souls 3 a lot on this podcast i like it a bunch next is into the breach which is the best puzzle game disguised as a strategy game i've ever played (laughs) it is if if you like puzzles or strategy or both, like it's worth uh, looking at. It's seriously well designed and it's fairly cheap. Yeah, my, uh, my brother Alex just started playing it today because it was it was free a while back on the Epic Game Store, and so he picked it up and just now got around to being able to play it. And he's like, you know, for a game that's supposedly an entirely separate genre from FTL, he's like, it's amazing how close they are. Uh, there, there's a lot. it's it's great. Next is Cuphead. This spot was a bit of a flex spot. There's some other things I could have thrown in here. Give me another week. Hades might take that spot. We can talk more about Hades another we day. Will definitely but... be talking more about Hades another day. That's so good. <laughs> but Cuphead gets that just because like the art's fantastic. The gameplay's um, really fun, though the platforming levels I think bring it down a bit. The bosses are great though. Um, beating that game, I was like a huge sense of accomplishment. Like that felt really good to stick it out and get to the end. Next is Doom, because um, Doom has a really good soundtrack and really good combat and is just plain old fun. Nothing like special here. Nothing like, you know, oh, it was really satisfying or it's really cleverly designed. It's just good old fun. 
and has a really nice soundtrack that appeals to my music taste, <laughs> which is kind of a key. Uh, and then last, I got Breath of the Wild because I think it's, I don't know how you can make like a best of any list that has Breath of the Wild as like a possible contender and not put it on there. I mean, um, Dylan did it, but I mean, Dylan, like I also Dylan, put Dylan zero hasn't played or switch beat games. any games. So like, I feel like we can't <laughs> yeah, fault Dylan. I, yeah. Like, yeah, he's played Monster Hunter time. and like Fallen Order and Control and Control. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, we, we, we've accepted <laughs> that Dylan hasn't played anything, but he still gets to be on the show. So <laughs> <laughs> he has a point. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. I, I do just have to have another quick note on, on <laughs> Doom really quickly before we move on entirely. And then it is, it's, it's just, it's the most aggressive game. It's so much fun. If you've got a vent about something and you just want to hit something really hard, like God of War or Doom, just on two separate ends of the spec, like you want to hit something with an axe or do you want to shoot something with the biggest dang gun? That's it. It's a nice way to let off a little steam. Right. Cool. Well, that has been our lists, our favorite games of the past generation. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I think we might should push the game off to the next episode. Uh, We've been recording for a hot minute. Just Okay, yeah, I just now looked at the time and I'm like, yep, yep, it has been a minute. So unless you guys have anything else you want to get off your chest, I think this is a good time to call it. This has been... A really, really good generation. It's been a weird generation, I think, because I, I think is the uh, there's only a couple crossover bits on our list. Like we all we all generally agree, even me who didn't put it on there. Like Witcher Three, yeah, that's one of the one of the games. Breath of the Wild, yeah. But like you look into some of the other nooks and crannies of our list, there's not like a whole lot of like, oh yeah, this is the defining game of the generation kind of things. Um, right, it's all over the place. Lots of interesting stuff. Really great time to play video games. There's something for everyone, basically. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a good time to be a gamer. And before we shut it down, I just want to mention that I did notice that everybody on the podcast is wearing a different kind of shirt. So with that, I just want to say thanks for checking out this episode of the Level Playing Field podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to help us out in growing our community, please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and give us a like or a follow. If you have any suggestions, questions, or just want to say hey, feel free to reach out on social media or email us at lpfgamespodcast at gmail.com. A big thank you to my co-hosts, Caleb, Dylan, and Joe, and an even bigger thank you to our listeners. We sincerely appreciate you. And say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Adios. Adios.